Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week we've got Joe Lumen. I'm really excited for this uh, conversation. We talk about decolonization within deconstruction. And so let's dive straight in with Joe. Joe, I'm really excited to have you. Like, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been following you for a while. I, I love the stuff you put out. I've got to say the stuff you put out is so well put together as well. Like I'm always looking at your images and just thinking, oh, it catches my eye. It's really great. But your, your stuff on Instagram is really where I follow you the most. Um, I've watched a few of your, your YouTube videos. But why don't you give maybe um, just a quick overview of who you are and what you're about. What, what is it that you're doing? Um, why are you doing it? And, and we can kind of go into that. But I know a lot of people listening um, probably won't be following you and won't have an idea of who you are coming into this. Uh, so that's yeah. great. Well, thank you for having me here. I love everything that you're doing too. And it's always wonderful to find kind of kindred spirits, if you will. Um, you know, people that can understand what you are talking about because they have walked um, some of the things that you have walked too. So I am a pastor. Um, I am, I got, I have, I got a master's in ministry and theology a few years ago and I moved to the United States. I'm Colombian. I moved to the United States to do an internship and to get my master's here. Um, okay. after I graduated in Colombia, my intent was to do an internship at this church for two years and to get my master's. It was a two year program and then go home. But I ended up meeting a lot of people that were moving to San Diego to start a new church. And in that group of people was also this tall white guy who ended up asking me to marry him. So <laughs> I, we both decided to move to San Diego. We were in Las Vegas. We both decided to move to San Diego. We started dating. We got married. And then we dove like, you know, right into church planting. Okay, um, this wow. was an evangelical, non, non-denominational evangelical church. Um, sure. So our whole entire marriage, uh, our whole entire relationship, everything had been, you know, around planting this church, working for the church. Uh, and we started volunteering our time. Um, and I started doing it full time and my husband was still working so that we could pay our bills. And then we were able to move something around, some things around. We didn't have debt, which was really helpful. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we, then he quit and we asked for friends and family to support us as, you know, quote unquote missionaries to San Diego. And we were able to work for the church, both of us full time, um, for a, a few years. And then the church started paying us a little bit. And we kept on doing that. So for 10 years, we worked for this church, um, oh, wow. getting, getting more and more uncomfortable. The closer we got to leadership and the deeper we got into it, the more responsibilities we got, the more compromises we had to make. Okay. Um, well, talk me uh, through some of that. What, what did that look like for like compromises that you were making that made you uncomfortable? And Money, for instance, we okay. were given budgets and uh, we were, you know, we were supposed to give a budget for our ministries, the ministers that we were running. And there was a lot of expectation of this money going to marketing. There was a lot of expectation of this money going to website and mm, okay. um, things like that. And we didn't want to spend money that way. And we, we understood why they were asking that, but we yeah. also didn't want to do that. Um, we wanted to help people. We wanted to, my, my main job was to run the school of ministry. So we had a school of ministry. People would get classes and then those classes would be credited. Um, so they, you know, the idea was somebody graduates from high school and they want to get a few classes. Uh, they will be credited. They are not wasting their time, Yeah. but also they are going to be able to get a more strong foundation on what is it that they believe. Yeah. And I wanted to push some 
perhaps books and ideologies that were not mainstream evangelicalism to get people right. uncomfortable. Because if you're not uncomfortable with your faith and you're just swallowing everything you've been given, perhaps mm. it's not your faith at all. It's just a faith that has been handed down to you. Well, the, our pastors didn't love that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> we, we started talking about like, why do we do communion at the main church? Why not empower small group leaders? My husband mm. was um, kind of like an assistant pastor and why not empower small group leaders to do community at homes with small groups and do it more okay. as a meal yep. uh, that was not received well like everything that we would say like hey why don't we do this why don't mm. we actually empower people more instead of keep giving them um, just a little bit and, and keep them so deeply dependent on the church yeah absolutely and I mean it was met with just like absolutely not absolutely not absolutely not uh, till eventually we just realized both sides, you know, realized this is absolutely not working yeah. anymore. Um, the, the pastor, though, thought that we just needed new job descriptions. And so he changed our job descriptions and he gave us worse job descriptions. Like I was going to be in charge of marketing now. I was going to be the creative oh, wow. pastor. Yeah, Because so far pastor. we've established that you really, really enjoyed the marketing aspect, right? I know. <laughs> I, I don't think he was listening at all, you know? So he said, yeah, like maybe you're just bored and you can be just the creative pastor now and create, like create ways in which people can come to the church. And I was like, no, I want people to go. I don't want people to come anymore. Yeah. And then my husband- It's such a conf is, conflict of interest, right? I know, yes. <laughs> and my husband was, he's like, you know, when people talk about teddy bears and like this person that you just hug and feel loved by them, that's my husband. He's six mm. two and he's just a loving, person uh yep. i'm not i don't like being touched <laughs> my husband if i leave him for five minutes at the store he's holding a stranger's baby like that's who he Amazing. is and so they moved him from working with small groups and working with youth and young adults and they wanted him to do uh administrative like more the administrative pastor kind of <sighs> job and he hates computers he barely handles his phone. Like yeah. he was like, no, I'm going to be miserable. So yeah. we quit. Gosh. So we quit. The pastor was shocked that we quit um, because we'd been working together for 10 years. We, you know, yeah. in, in our will, in our last will, um, the pastor was the person who would get our babies if we died. Like wow. this is the kind, like we, we loved each other. Um, yeah. And then we realized he kind of wanted our work, but if we didn't agree with him, then we were in a, of anymore like we weren't um we weren't friends anymore even like you know yeah. so we quit and then soon after we quit i told my husband like i we need to leave this church because every the, the messages were uh he wasn't preaching about us but he was preaching about us um yeah. he was you know a lot of passive aggressive communication a lot of uh i don't you know guys you can rest you don't have to serve at all but then he would preach about how people who aren't serving aren't doing really the will of god and it's like you're sending mixed messages and then mm -hmm. he started talking to people in the church saying that we were just bitter that we were angry he didn't give us the job we wanted started lying about us uh, not just with the people in the church but also pastors we knew all around the area and in right. our kind of like group of friends mm -hmm. um so I, I, we were like, we gotta go. We just, we have to go. So yeah. we left and, you know, I don't know. I, the question was what? So th that was it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a scary thing, right? Because I mean, you've trained for ministry, you've worked ministry, 
Right. You, you are not trained to go into many other lines of work, right? In the right. grand scheme of things and your experience space. I mean, working in a ministry, it, it prepares you in an incredible way in lots of different areas. But generally speaking, you put that down on your, your resume and not many people are going to go, oh, great. Yeah. Why don't you become a stockbroker or, you know, no. <laughs> you, you are kind of screwed, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how we felt. I, I mean, I remember I've been writing a lot of my experiences and I remember the first thing I wrote about these was I was sitting on the stairs. We, we live in a two story home and I was sitting on the stairs. My husband got home. I had a very small baby um, at the time. So I think I was dealing with a lot of, you know, emotions on all fronts. Sure. And I was bawling and he just said, are, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not okay. I, I did all the things, you know, I, I went to school of, I went to seminary. I did everything. Like I, I interned, I donated my time for years. I worked hard. I was working 80 hour weeks sometimes mm -hmm. uh, with babies, with kids. Um, I said, I did all the things. I said, yes, every time I, I served, I, I did everything I was asked to do and I am here. Uh, we have no friends, no community, no relationships. Because remember, we moved here for this church. And when we yeah. left, we were not allowed to talk to anybody. Uh, and they were told we didn't want to talk to them. So yeah. they were trying to respect us by not talking to us. And we were being, we still were so indoctrinated that we said, okay, we'll honor our pastors by not talking to anybody. Yeah. We would totally handle that differently now. Um, so we, I sat there and I said, I have nothing. Like I have nothing to show for my whole entire adult life. Nothing. If I show people my resume, what can I go into? Like the only, I mean, I don't want to disparage any kind of job, but I would have to just start over. Yeah. And I am a woman in my thirties with three kids who knows, who can speak Hebrew. I can't speak Hebrew. I'm sorry. I can read Hebrew. What am I going to do with that? You know, like, it's useless. And, and at the same time, my whole belief system was mm. just being destroyed. You know, I was like, I don't even know if I want a job in ministry anymore. Uh, I don't know if I believe yeah. in all of this. I don't know if by getting a job in ministry, I'll become more oppressive. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. we ended up moving, we ended up going to Turkey. Wow. Because <laughs> when you are <laughs> lost and you know not, like you have no idea what to do, you just go to Turkey. Uh, we have, a, we have an so aunt funny. in Turkey. We have an aunt in Turkey. She has been a missionary there for the last 30 years. So really she's wow. Turkish. Um, and the work that they do there is very interesting and beautiful. And um, yeah, so we went to Turkey. We decided to be there for a month with our three very small children and not having a plan or, you know, we just, yeah. we just needed to get out. We, there was something about yeah. getting out. Space to breathe. Of, yeah. So we went to Turkey and first we see this church that is somewhat of an underground church. They literally meet underground a building and they, they, we taught, they talk to us about how they engage with their Muslim neighbors uh, mm. because this is a 99% Muslim country. And they are talking to us about how they are just good neighbors. Their intent is not so much to convert, but to yeah. love. Um, and how love has proven that people want to be around them, you know? Mm. Um, so a lot of people don't convert to Christianity, but they've built relationships with them and they have these conversations with them. And if somebody's sick, these people in their own buildings, just go and bring food and care. Mm. And, and I was thinking, gosh, and they said, and, and it's mutual. They care for us too. It's wow. just this mutual thing. 
And then I have all these friends in Colombia who are mostly agnostic or atheist. And when I was telling them my story, like we left and we're really heartbroken right now and I'm just so lost, I don't know. They were showing up. I have a friend who's totally agnostic and she kind of doesn't like church or religion much, but she said, well, what do you need? Do you need to start a church? How, I'll support you. Mm. I'll support you. I mean, people, you know, like showing me love and then all these Christian people were, I was ostracized, lied about, and I mean, things started getting harsher and harsher for me because then everything that I was told was truly a lie from every possible front. You know, mm. we love you so long as you agree yeah. with us. So long as you work 80 hours. I was getting paid $700 a month. <laughs> so long as you work for $700 a month, you know? Uh, and my husband wasn't getting paid that much more. He was getting paid $2,400 a month. So we were both working. He was working you know, 60 to 80 hours. At the end, I was working more like 40 because I had the two kids and I was pregnant Yeah. for nothing. Uh, and when we would say in things San like, Diego hey, as well, right? in, Sa in San Diego, <laughs> yeah. Try to make San Diego with that yeah. and three kids. And when we said, hey, we, we, we didn't have health insurance. So if we got sick, we had to drive to Mexico to be able to pay less. And we said at one point, like, hey, we, we need a raise. Uh, and they said, well, we were we've been thinking about that. We noticed that you have more kids and you do do a lot of work. So we were thinking that perhaps you should um, apply for state benefits because you qualify. So they, they knew we couldn't make. Yeah. And, you know, so the only reason, and, and I speak about privilege a lot. The only reason why we could do all of this is because we, my husband's family helped us, honestly, financially mm. and because we were super tight and we yeah. the house we live in is from this very old man who gave us a crazy rent um because he just wants us to take care of house and not deal with it at all yeah uh, but you know it's it's all these it's all these things that added up that at the moment the pastor was like it's god like it's absolutely god god gave you this family that could help you god gave you this house where you could live no it's it's not god um they should have been paying us properly you know mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the right thing. So we leave. And then my husband gets another job. I have a friend who left with us. She was the children's pastor. And she gets into this job and her boss is talking to her about how, how are you doing? Are you, you know, I want to make sure that you're compensated properly. I want to make sure that your time is compensated properly. Because she was oh. a social worker before she was a pastor. So she could go into that work back. Yeah. And they are taking care of her, not just um, like paying her properly, but also there is vacation pay time. And there is also services for mental health care and and we are like why in the world were we working for a church they, yeah. like that's not so more and more things were just kind of and then i started studying genesis so i made a commitment to study gen because we went to another church that didn't work out either right and i just kept realizing like this is not a problem of this church this is a problem of toxic theology which happens to just be widespread you yeah. know yeah. But so here's my question in that, like, because this is fascinating to me is like, the problem, I agree, is a deep rooted systemic issue that is in a, a vast majority. I'm not all churches are terrible by any means. I, I agree. Form. And even mm -hmm. even these churches that have these toxic elements in them can do great and wonderful and beautiful work. You know, I mean, absolutely say that and recognize that you were in that. But you stayed in the system without the toxic uh, systemic issues being an issue for you for so long you know um and at some point there's I mean, not overnight but over a period of time something shifts in you that goes this isn't clicking anymore there's something yeah. wrong 
that after that you now find actually it's not even this church i i, I don't know about other churches as well it was some serious so in a sense there's something wrong in all these different churches but in another sense it's that there's something shifted within yeah. like can you identify the kind of key things within that you're like oh these were the things that was just like it just would slap me in the face every time or yeah incredibly what started what like kind of opened my eyes to the systemic issues inside of the church was that i started doing anti-racist work like okay. anti-racism and I, the reason I started doing that is because I started doing trauma healing. So um, I recognized that my, my relationship with my pastor, who was a really abusive relationship, uh, was just me trauma bonding with him because of my relationship with my mom that was abusive. And my mom did the best she could with the tools she had. Uh, but now we both, we've had great conversations about this. We both recognize that she was an abusive mom. Mm. Um, and my relationship with her never healed. So instead of healing, what I did was run away, <laughs> move to the States and in my family, education is a big deal. So the best way for me to get her to let me go was to say, I have to go study there, you know, right. and, and yeah. I'll come back. And the only that, way yeah. to right. And the only way to stay here was I, I fell in love and I'm marrying this guy. Mm. Uh, so everything you know, looking back, I realized I made all of these decisions due to unhealed trauma, but not because this is what I wanted to do. And so because I'm unhealed, I, I go on, you know, my brain thinks that abuse is safe uh, because it's all I've known. So I meet this pastor and he acts and, and he engages with me in similar ways than my mom, except he's a pastor. So he should mm. be safe. Right. And I'm not even aware that my mom was an abuser at this point. I am a 23 yeah. year old and I have no idea. Um, so trauma bonded with this pastor and I continue to do things, you know, I continue to allow abuse. I continue to not set boundaries. I continue to be codependent. I continue to work hard to prove that I'm worth keeping around. Uh, all of these things that I realized about myself later on when I start, I, I, when I left the church, I said, listen, I see the pattern. Pastors get hurt. They leave, they start a church and they hurt people. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. So yeah. what does it look like to heal? So I started reading every possible book I can find on healing, on trauma. And I realized one of the things that, um, one of the reasons perhaps that I had moved to the United States was also uh, internalized racism, the belief that this country is better. Okay. Uh, and this was a belief that was given to me, not a belief that I, you know, like just decided to have. Sure. Um, and then Do you mean I by was, like family or culture? Like no, culture. Or, yeah, okay. I think it's culturally all over the world, you know? Like yeah. white people are better, we right. are told. The, the way of white people is better. The way in which yeah. they have family, the way in which they engage, the way in which they talk to one another, their businesses are better, business practices, their churches are better. And I realized, I mean, part of the reason I married my husband was also that belief, the belief that also white people are better looking and I realized when I look at black people, I don't find them attractive. And it's not because they aren't attractive, it's because I have been conditioned to believe they aren't. Because mm. when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't find myself attractive either. I didn't think I was beautiful because I was too, too dark. My hair was too curly. Uh, I was too short. Not all the things that I was told by white supremacy. So yeah. I started doing anti-racism work paired with my trauma work. And I realized that there is more than anything anti-indigenous, um, anti-indigenous like beliefs inside of me 
So in Colombia, mm -hmm. when somebody is being a jerk, if somebody cuts you off or if somebody says something, they, they call you an Indian. You're an Indian. Mm, wow. To, right? We don't even know. Like, we don't even realize these things. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that when I say savage, a lot of people all over the world are going to picture an, an Indian person, like an indigenous person. Mm -hmm. All of this is anti-indigenous uh, rhetoric and that's anti-indigenous biases that we've been given all around us. And then I start reading about the characteristics of white supremacy um, because I, I want to know, you know, I want to know what else has this seeped into. Yeah. Uh, like the way that I was raised to believe that Christopher Columbus was so wonderful. We, we ought to be grateful. He came and we ought to be grateful. Colombians got the colonizers we got because now Catholicism, you know, thank the Lord, we get to go to heaven. I mean, even those things in school, that's how we were taught to look wow. at the colonizers. A lot of streets in Colombia, a lot of neighborhoods have names of colonizers. Wow. Um, and it's not much different here in the States, you know? Yeah. So I start doing all this work and I start realizing how deeply it seeps into everything. I read the characteristics of white supremacy. Every single characteristic is also a characteristic of the church. So if I mm -hmm. read them to you and I tell you to do, like, I tell you I'm describing a church, you'd be like, yeah, you are, you absolutely are. Uh, like uh, uh, an, an obsession with perfectionism. Everything has to be mm -hmm. perfect. Everything has to be, you know, um, a, an idolization of the written word. That's white supremacist culture. Um, these paternalistic, uh, you know, patriarchy, basically, is white yeah. supremacy culture. These black and white binary thinking, uh, good or wrong, sinful, not sinful, it's all all over that so there i started reading all these things and my mind is exploding i'm being like my god the church has married white supremacy so much that we don't even know where one ends and the other one begins yeah um and then you know i look deeper into other systems of oppression and i realized i mean the church has now been for hundreds of years i would argue since the roman empire decided to use christianity you know, mm -hmm. to further yeah. its kingdom, to further the empire. Yeah. Uh, Christianity has been a weapon of, yeah. a weapon used by systems of oppression to continue to yeah. expand their oppression all over the world. Yeah. And so I realize I want to decolonize. I don't want this because it's not only affecting my career at this point, it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting the way that in which I live in the world. It's affecting my parenting it's affecting my relationships. It's affecting my life. Mm -hmm. So I either decolonize and heal. Healing means stripping of all of it. Yeah. Uh, or I find a way to become an oppressor, whether I become an atheist or not, or whether I stay inside of Christianity or not. It, it kind of, beyond, it kind of be, begins to be more about, it, this, is, it, this is much bigger than Christianity. This yeah. is much bigger than my career for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's huge. I mean, that's a lot. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> There's a lot yes. in there. I, I mean, I, I just had a guy um, on a guy called Kevin Miller, um, who's a documentary filmmaker. And he just made a documentary called uh, J-E-S-U-S-A. Um, and it's all about the, the conflation of Christianity and Americanity. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is kind of like, where does one end and where does the other begin? And, and for a lot of people around the world, we look to America as this is Christianity. This is superpower this is the best at this this is the best at that right i mean there's there's an element of that 
however we're fed well, through our TV, through culture, through magazines, totally. whatever it is. And there is this element that we go, oh yeah, American Christianity, like that, that we, when you're standing outside of America, can look on that and go, oh, that's a different thing than my culture's Christianity. And we might choose to glorify that or demonize it. Do you need to grab that? It's okay if you do. No, it's my husband. I think he, my kids just stole his phone. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there's this, this conflation, and I think it's easier to see when you're on the outside. And, and, and we sometimes do. We look at it and go, oh, wow. I know for me growing up um, in the church, I, I glorified American Christianity in some ways. And I, I ended up going to America and studying for four years, being there for four years, because yeah. I loved what was going on. Um, but I do think for a lot of Americans, they, they, they live in the bubble. You know, you don't see oh, absolutely. that there's... Uh, that there's Christianity and and when you're sitting outside the bubble you can look within American Christianity and go oh here's your Christian parts yeah right. you're saying Jesus died and rose again or yeah you're saying whatever right. you know like these little bits here and there um love your enemy you know turn the other cheek like great Christian yes wonderful but here's your other part you need to make sure you've got a gun on Sunday morning right you know the, the church right. is like, you literally take a gun to the service to like celebrate having a gun and I'm like that bit's American. And I'm not saying that's wrong. You know, uh, as a European, I have opinions on that and most people will be able to guess what Same. that is. Um, but I'm not saying, you know, that that's fine. That's American. That's, you know, that's your prerogative as an American to be an American. But right. I don't think you can see the difference. No, absolutely and, and I think not. That's, that's, a, that's a silly extreme example. But I think when we're talking about something like systemic racisms um, and things like that, um, we can't see them. You know, I know for me, like I was woken up like three or four years ago to my implicit racisms, like just right. being, having explained to me, yeah, Phil, no, you're not particularly explicitly racist. You know, maybe here or there you say something or do something that's really stupid and ignorant. Right. But actually that's not like that, you know, and you're working on. And actually, as long as you're working on that, that's just a good thing. Thank you. Wonderful. Great. And I, I can feel good about myself for doing that and going, yeah, I'm trying right. to become a better person or whatever. But the issue is these underlying things that we actually have no idea are going on. Right. I mean, that's absolutely. Just, and you can't judge people for that and say you're a terrible person because we don't know. No. But there is an education. And I think I just want to kind of clarify, I'm assuming this is what, when you're talking about this, this heart to decolonize the church, it's not um, expressly saying that the church is intentionally racist, um, although I am sure many uh, well-meaning people with with the best of intentions, based on warped views or whatever, are extremely explicitly racist within yeah. the church. Um, I, I'd say the majority of people, it, it's more a systemic, implicit racism that we're working with. Is, is that would that be? I think. Do you agree with that observation? I think that's. Uh, that's true for everybody. So I have yet to meet someone that has really harmful ideologies and really harmful beliefs that is wanting to harm, mm -hmm. you know? I think that what happens is because of trauma and, and, and white supremacy is just a response to trauma, you know? If, if we look back enough, if we look historically enough, it's, listen, we got screwed at one point, that's not going to happen ever again. So we are going to create this system where we ensure we're not screwed ever again. And that just goes, gets like, it grows out of hand because instead of healing again, you just find ways in which you're not going to get screwed again, which means you screw somebody else. Yeah. Um, so what, I, what I've seen is, that's why I don't believe in binaries, in good or bad. What I've seen is they are just responses to trauma. So deeply racist people, the ones that you're like, how in the hell do you believe that? Yeah. 
if you look back enough, you just They've got a story of some sort, right? Absolutely. Now, is that an excuse of their abuse? No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. They need to be held accountable for their abuse. But punitive accountability is not going to change anything. That's why I don't believe in prisons, for instance, Mm -hmm. because that's punitive in nature. That's why I don't believe in punitive parenting, because that just re-traumatizes people. And and then we're never going to get off these cycles of trauma where we change Mm -hmm. something. Um, if we are able to help people see things through somebody else's eyes, and that includes me having to look through the eyes of the abuser too, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah, that, that includes now, and I say that because I have the privilege of being able to say that if you are the one that is being stepped on, yeah. sometimes you just don't have the, the bandwidth or, and you don't have to have the bandwidth to deal with the abuser. Yeah. You don't, but if you have privilege, you also have the ability to say, listen, it's not going to be good for me to just say, hey, you are being an absolute jerk here. Uh, I hate you and you're the worst. That's not helpful. <laughs> That's, it's just not helpful. That, yeah. Does that need to be said sometimes? Yes. Are people saying it wrong? Absolutely not. But nothing's going to change if we just mm. stay there. Nothing is going to yeah. change. And that's where I speak about privilege. And I say, what is the privileges that you have that you're able to lay down in order to change this? Because see, for instance, I am married to a man. Uh, I am a cisgender woman. I speak English. I have a level of education. Um, I have a lot of privilege in the mm-hmm. world. Sure, I have oppression too. You know, I am. I have identities that are oppressed, but I don't. You know, I can't worry about those so much. I want to worry about the ones where I am privileged. Mm. Uh, that means that if somebody is homophobic, it's different for me to engage with them and have a conversation with them because they are not oppressing me directly. No, they are not stepping on my own head. I can marry anywhere in the world. If I'm walking around holding hands with my husband, nobody is bothered by that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal. So that means that if somebody's being homophobic, it is almost my duty to say, Hey, can we have a conversation about this? Does that Mm -hmm. mean that I am going to lose some privilege? Yes. Does that mean that people are going to be mad at me? Yes. But I am not going to be re-traumatized by this conversation. So, and that happens with everything. That's why white men, are the ones that should be having the most conversations and should be uplifting the voices of the most marginalized because white cisgender heterosexual men are the ones that hold the most power in this world. Therefore, Mm. a lot of these conversations are not traumatizing for you. Now, should you have them with, you know, you should be uplifting the voices of the ones marginalized and having the conversations with other white men and saying like, well, when, that, when I spoke with them, this is what I understood. Let me see if I can convey that with you. So you stop being harmful. Yeah. Because if you're asking the marginalized to have these conversations and the marginalized to just understand the oppressor, um, you're literally asking them to just be re-traumatized and harmed over and over and over again. Yeah. That doesn't mean we can understand it, you know? Mm. So I, I don't believe that anybody is harmful because they want to be harmful. Yeah. I believe they are just responding to trauma. And I mean, I can't even think of our, our leaders in the world that are narcissistic um, <laughs> and respond horribly to things. I can see the trauma, you know? Yeah. I can no, see the absolutely. trauma. I, I, yeah. if, if I look at Trump, I can see a young boy that wants to impress his daddy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I can see it. And, and that's just a, a surface trauma. I don't know Trump. But you can see that in a lot of what he says. We're the biggest, I'm the best, I'm the most smartest, the guy in the whole world. I mean, he's compensating for feeling 
like your president already you don't need to prove anything you know like i mean (laughs) on some level right but yeah absolutely that's that's definitely some sort of sign of like i need some more validation please like yeah and that the votes of the entire country didn't do it for me you know exactly (laughs) and i just see a, a young boy desperate for affirmation from from parents yeah Um, so, and that helps us, right. Be able to see beyond. So when I think of, of my pastors, the, the abusive behavior that they represent, I mean, I can absolutely see the trauma that led to all of it. I can, uh, and it, it, it helps me look at them with compassion. That doesn't mean I don't condemn what they did. It doesn't mean I excuse their abuse because we all have the option to stop betraying ourselves Mm -hmm. for the traumatic events that we had to deal with. We all have the option you know, no, let me reframe that. Not all of us have the option. Healing is also uh, a privilege. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But for those of us who do have the privilege of healing, who do have access to education, who do have access to the books and the time to be able to read them, who have access to therapists and all of these mm-hmm. things, um, we're making the choice to continue to be in the trauma um, because it's scary. And so I see all of that and I acknowledge all of that. So I don't think they are bad. I don't think churches are bad. I think they are just yeah. um, America, even as a whole. I don't think America is bad. America was just responding to a ton of trauma in the worst possible way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And- no, absolutely. I mean, you look at someone like a pastor and you could probably say on the scale of different people that are bringing their trauma that elevates them to positions of power and all sorts of different things. Because that, unfortunately, it's a bit of a cycle, isn't it? On, on some level that um, trauma can, can almost um, catapult some of those um attributes that in our system of this world right now generally speaking people that are um, deeply traumatically driven will generally right. succeed very well um, i know they will in 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 the different aspects that that can look like um probably some of the people with the very best motives out of that um in in the yes driven by trauma yes needing to um feel in control feel powerful feel whatever but actually probably driven very much so by a desire to help people, to, to guide people, to do, you know, most of these pastors are, are, are unaware, as, as you're saying, you know, they, they genuinely are like, I just want to help people. Now they don't understand yeah. that um, their fear of being out of control, their fear of someone right. thinking they're wrong, their fear of losing people, which, you know, in that worldview, when you think someone leaving your church, you know, when, when your pastor's looking at you and your husband thinking, oh shit, they're going straight to hell. Right. And then they're thinking, I, and what if other people in our church, a lot of people in our church like these guys, what if they go with them? They're all going to hell and I'm responsible for this. You know, leaders will be judged right. twice as hard or, you know, they got all this stuff bouncing around in their heads. You they can, have, you can, they have all those obvious ones. They, hmm. I want to protect you. I want to do all these things, you know, all those that are also harmful. We are adults. Leave us alone. Yeah, of course. But they also have the ones that they want to admit to themselves, the hidden hmm. motivations that they want to admit to themselves. And the only reason I know that is because I have them. You know, yeah. I, I stayed in the church because, and if I tell you the, the ones that sound um, honorable is I wanted to help people. I wanted to change the church. I wanted to be an agent of transformation for the church and make it better. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are cute and they are true. They were yeah. true. They were just not the whole truth yeah. because I also liked power. I mm-hmm. also liked being um, told that what I was doing was so great. I also liked people following me. I also liked people tweeting my messages. I also loved when I would teach a class and everybody would leave and be like, oh my gosh, Joe, that was amazing. I like, I yeah. loved all of that. And that was driven by my insecurities. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest about those too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I think that pastors are very, very good at recognizing the good reasons, uh, not yeah. just pastors, humans. Everyone, we're, humans, right? Yeah, right, humans. We're all very, very good at recognizing the good reasons for which we do things, even controlling our children. Well, I control them because I want to protect them. Yeah, you also control them because you don't want to look bad against others because you don't want people to judge mm -hmm. you for the way in which your child behaves. So until we are willing to also share and listen, those are all fair motivation. They are just mm -hmm. truth. There is not good or bad. They are just, that's the truth. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Now, are they healthy? <laughs> no, yeah. they aren't healthy. Yeah. So that's when my parenting, for instance, changed. I didn't want to continue to be motivated by how people were going to view me. Mm. Um, I wanted to be motivated by what is the best, how can I give the best possible tools to my children? And that means sometimes I don't look like a good mom. Yeah. And I have to make peace with that yeah. because it's not about looking like a good mom anymore. Mm -hmm. But I had to also admit first that it mattered that I looked like a good mom. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. But I would have never got into a place where it doesn't matter if I wouldn't have admitted that it did. Mm -hmm. So that's why I know churches are not going to be healthier and safer. I don't care. You know, I just want churches to be safe spaces. And they are never going to be safe until they are able to acknowledge why they are not safe. Yeah. Because they yeah. hold on so tightly to, but we're doing good work. Yeah, I mean, sure, but you're also doing harmful one, like, yeah. you know, harmful work. So this is, I deal with this so much. Um, and I've dealt with this uh, personally in my own experiences with going along to different churches. I've dealt with it when I've traveled and spoken different churches and, and I deal with it online all the time. Obviously, you right. know this, right? Um, right? But like anything you ever say that is um, quote unquote negative now, even that is a dualism in a sense, right? Because you can say right. the most negative thing in the world. It can be very positive for another person. Um, right. But when you say something that is um, oh, speaking poorly about the body of Christ or Christ's bride or all these, but we immediately go to these emotive language things just to point out how terrible we are for pointing right. out that, oh no, the church has been complicit in um, genocide, infanticide, and rape in the right. last few hundred years, right? right? Not even that long ago. Um, right. And, and, you know, like, but, but we immediately go, oh, how can we, but you're, you're, you're missing out. We, we run a food bank every week, you know, or, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's how can we immediately, uh, you know, you point out that the, the Catholic church uh, is systemically, horrifically, Perfect. brutally corrupt with all sorts of um, abuse scandals constantly. I mean, it's not even like, like it's not even as like, I don't even want to say it's not even because even a small thing would be unforgivable, you know, not unforgivable either. My language. I know what you mean. It's just, yeah. you're just so caught up in like, how is it's this not even just this one happening? time. I'm so frustrated, so angry, right. so like um, caught up. And yet you go, um, yeah, but the Catholic Church does amazing stuff. Look how, look how great it is. Look how many people hospitals. Are how many hospitals has the church, hospitals, the Catholic schools, Church started? You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. But I think it's this inability to go, well, yeah, but this is just not black and white. It's not like you could be a good yeah. thing or a bad thing. Pick, you know, it's like, right. are you kidding? And, and that's the same for you and me as well. Like, right. we, are, we are not a good person or a bad person. We're we're a complex, messy person that has a has a wonderful uh, desire to love our kids, but also has this slightly dark desire that wants our kids to be loved well, so that everyone looks at us and thinks, "Wow, what a loving mom and dad." You know, I like, know. We, we have to admit that there's that that um, duality. The, or the not even like the nuance 
yeah, it's 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 complex. It's 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 and it, and it's and it's internal. I think that the danger is that we look externally a lot of the time mm -hmm. and realize uh, the work initially has to happen internally. We have to yeah. start. And for me, that's why I talk about Christianity. Like people go, well, why aren't you critiquing Islam? And I'm like, dude, if go for it, you do your thing. But like for me, I'm like, my world is Christian. This is my world. This is what belongs to me, and I'm going to turn around and deal with my stuff first. Absolutely. Like, and that's the that's what I find interesting too, because they tell us, you know, be like Jesus. Well, did Jesus ever speak about anything but Judaism? Dude, no. when was like how many times did he big up like you know? Oh, I love going along to the synagogue. Look at the great work the synagogues are doing, and look, look at the great work. And, and, he was and critiquing he, the temple, the priests, the, yeah, the rabbis. He, I mean, he was going nuts. Right, he knew what he was an expert on. Mm -hmm. He knew what he knew. He knew his experience. He wasn't raised as a Roman soldier, he was raised as a Jewish boy. Yeah. Therefore that framed everything. So I'm not an expert on Islam. I can't speak about it. I've not read the Quran. I won't criticize it. Are people yeah. criticizing? Yeah, Muslims, that's their lane. They should mm -hmm. be criticizing it. You know, so I, yeah. I, we stay on our lane, like let us stay on our lane and speak yeah. about the things that we have to speak about. But one of the, the best ways that I've found when, when people tell me like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why are you speaking against the body of Christ? Who are we trying to protect when you're trying to, to police what I'm saying? Who are you trying to protect? And that's mm. something that I, it's kind of like the question I ask in my mouth. I write, I post something. I, you know, every time I build even a space, whether online or in real life, who would feel safe in this space? Mm. Who would feel comfortable reading my wow. stuff? Because if it's the powerful, then I'm doing this wrong. Yeah. I want marginalized people to feel safe. I wow. want those who have been harmed to feel safe. So is it negative towards the church? Yes, 100%. Yeah. But who feels safe? Those who have been hurt by the church. So I, I, I make a lot of, because um, I'm also trying to grow something here mm -hmm. you know like i'm also this is also my work this is my life so i make a lot of statements that are generalizations christianity doesn't help us mature things like that His, christianity keeps us immature which is not mm -hmm. a lie but it's obviously a generalization yeah and people fight me when i make those generalizations they, they say you should say toxic christianity no i, sh I shouldn't um if you want to say that go ahead but i shouldn't because what I want is for people that have been harmed by Christianity to feel safe. Yeah. That's it. So when yeah. they read that, they can say, she's safe. I can speak with her. Mm -hmm. And that's all I care about. Now, if the powerful feel unsafe in my presence, I, I kind of don't give a rat's ass. Yeah. Yeah. They have power. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't give a rat's ass. I, I don't. It, it is not my job to protect the powerful. The powerful yeah. are protected, in, protected enough by the power. <laughs> Yeah. My job is to build spaces where the marginalized feel safe. Now, if we go back to Jesus, that's exactly what he did. 100%. Time and time again, the powerful felt uncomfortable in his presence, but the marginalized felt seen and they felt safe. Mm. They felt protected. They felt covered. So that's the framework through which I do everything that I do. So, yeah. you know, if you're asking me, well, people, this is very negative. To whom? Yeah. That's, it I mean, is negative. To whom though? That question, like, that's, that's a beautiful question to ask in, in all our actions and all what we're doing. Just Absolutely. asking that uh -huh. question, like, yeah, it's, it's really, really profound. Yeah. Right. Who's harmed by the things that I 
do or not do, um, say or not say, engage or not engage in, you know, I, yeah. I am that annoying mom that sends messages to the teacher and the school <laughs> and that is at school. My husband and I both volunteer a lot at our kids' school. And so we know everybody and every, you know, we have nicknames for all the kids and all the things. Um, and there was like, I'm the mom that has the email. They were doing this project for Christmas and it was all around Christmas and it was a big Christmas mm. shindig. And, and I'm the mom that sends the email, you know, like, are you doing the same for Ramadan? Um, yeah. You know, how, how are you ensuring that the kids that are not Christian at all and parents who are not Christian are feeling seen and are feeling mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, like, are, are you ensuring? So I have to ask all those questions. And even they were doing another project about like, hey, um, we want family history, like family trees. And I was like, okay, well, how are you ensuring that foster care yeah. kids? How are you ensuring that adopted kids? How are you ensuring that kids that have really bad history families are uh, safe? by these projects mm -hmm. or could we do a different project to talk about history that doesn't include mm -hmm. family you know so i and i it's uncomfortable for me to ask those questions it's uncomfortable with to become that mom yeah but who is like is my discomfort important or is protecting the most yeah. marginalized the most important well, thing the people the people protecting the pharisees and the romans didn't get crucified right i mean at the end of the day when, when you speak out against the powerful for the sake of sticking your neck out for the marginalized that doesn't tend to um go well for your own self-preservation and comfort now no, generally speaking again we're talking about privilege here right you are a uh relatively tick a lot of boxes on privilege living in San, Fran yeah. uh, San Diego. You I mean like generally speaking, you send an email to the, you know, the, the school, they're probably going to go, Oh, this stupid mom, like, or whatever. And that's about as negative as it would get for you. You know what I mean? Like at worst, they're going to be like, Oh, not her again. That's probably about it. Right. It's not like you're, you know, going to be like beheaded in, you know, Saudi or something, you know, like there's, there's or my kids are going to be kicked out different of school scenarios. or exactly. they, they're not allowed to that. do that. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's, there's so much uh, there, but it still is generally speaking, that is surely the Christian, uh, I mean, that ethos of who am I trying to put I love that, like, because that is yeah. what Jesus was doing again and again and again, yeah. you know, um, the woman's thrown on the floor and he could side in with everyone and go, yeah, you're right. That's really messed up that she's like sleeping with someone else. Well, by the way, where's the guy? Um, but, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah, they're right. These guys are, are really bad people, terrible people on some yeah. level based on our morality and our culture right now, based on our laws, these people are wrong. But instead he goes, hold on. What about you guys? And you guys the first stuff. Yeah. And, and so he does the uncomfortable so he can try and protect the, 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 the woman that is clearly being scapegoated here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and how I, much I of our that. privilege are we? And I mean, Jesus was very aware of his privilege. You mm -hmm. know, he was, he was very aware that he was a rabbi. He was very aware that he was a man. He mm -hmm. was very aware that he was uh, educated. He was very aware of his privilege and you can see his awareness of his privilege when he puts himself between Every time, you know, he puts himself between the yeah. powerful and the marginalized. And I think that that's the work that we have to do. Put ourselves yeah. between the powerful and the marginalized. Will that cost us? Yes, mm. absolutely. And I think that when the Bible speaks about pick up your cross, that's what it's talking about. Yeah. You know, it, it'll cost you. And I mean, Jesus says that, you know, my followers are going to be hated. Yeah. That's how you'll know. Yeah. That's how you'll know. And so, that's and the I, Jewish tradition as well, though, right? I mean, you look at the prophets, it didn't go well for most of the prophets, right? Oh God, Jeremiah no. speaks out against Israel and says, guys, like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. I don't even think Moses gave that rule. Like, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then you read a couple chapters later, and he's like, he's literally being like lynched, you know, and like, he's been yeah. like, cast out. And it's like, oh, dang, it did not go well for Jeremiah. 
but but the prophets speak out against their tradition they're the voice yeah. of god into their tradition going I, guys we've got some stuff right but let's course correct a bit um, right and, and you again you don't see them speaking about any other nations no. <laughs> you know no. because that's not appropriate that's not correct mm-hmm. um but i see i mean and this is the marriage of christianity with capitalism yeah what we need to do is become the biggest greatest the most amazing and for that we need to compromise our integrity and mm-hmm. you know we need to accrue these things and we need to be liked by everybody and we have to become just this american american version of christianity the yep. the liked by everyone the the, the dazzle the lights who cares yeah. who cares i i was asked this when i was in um getting my master's degree i i had a you know what this is the the whole thing we're talking about not people are not all bad not all good so this teacher he perhaps was one of the teachers that absolutely changed my view world the most like mm-hmm. he would challenge he was the lead pastor of a church here in san diego in in uh part of the city that's called city heights where a lot of marginalized people live yeah uh, and he had a church right there he was one of the people that would let undocumented immigrants stay in the church because then ice can't come and get him like yeah. things like that that kind of church Awesome. super committed super in the church and he would ask all the time because all the people taking classes with me were pastors he says if your church disappears from the community right mm. now would the church feel it would the church mm. be better would the church be worse or would the church or i'm sorry would the community be better yeah, would the, the community people. be worse or would the community not even notice yeah because if the community wouldn't notice or would be worse or would be better off then you're not doing the work of the church that's not what the church does. The church transforms the community so that the people in it are better. Yeah. This man was then like four years later, um, he had sexual harassment cases against him mm. from church members, you know? So you have that, like, do I toss everything that he ever said to me and how he yeah. transformed me? No, I don't. Do I condemn yeah. his actions? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely, are you going to but... rip the Psalms out your Bible because David slept with Bathsheba? All right. I mean, like, come right. on. No, but I we, we will have call... to understand there's some nuance, but we exactly. have to say, David, not okay. Predatory behavior. Not cool. You know, but doesn't, okay. but doesn't toxic Christianity idolize this? Like David yeah. was amazing. No, he was also a rapist and we're going to have to do with both. Yeah. You know, yeah. just well, like, he wasn't a rapist though, because Bathsheba clearly lured him in with her wily with her feminine ways. Yeah. <laughs> but this is it, right? This is a narrative. Like I, I it's funny. Um, I, I love the local church I often go along to um, he, here in my, my part of the world, but um, they were doing a, a Bible quiz. I think it was at Christmas or some big event. We did a Bible quiz. And one of the questions was um, who, who lured uh, a, a biblical king to um, sleep with her by revealing herself to him through the window or something. And I was like, dude, like the way we're framing that yeah. reveals whose side we're on here. Not the Absolutely. woman that got raped and was with the least to amount of power and then had her husband killed. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're we're on the side of David. We're really mourning for David, even though in the story he's the bad guy still. You know, at no yeah. point does like the prophet come along and go, right, Bathsheba, come on, what the hell? I no. mean, David admits it himself. Yeah, at it's, some it's, point, it's wild. You know, but, but our framework. So even how we 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 reinterpret our narratives, our stories, everything. Absolutely, we, we reframe them that way. And that's that's what happened with me on Genesis, for instance. I had been because I had read the Bible over and over and over again, but it never looked different in a way. 
But then when I read it outside of the church, outside of everything, and I said, I'm going to read it slowly, one, one chapter a week, and I'm going to mm. sit with this and read it. I wanted to read it as though I had never read it before, you know, as best as you can do that. I sure. wanted to say, let's imagine that I've never read this. What would that look like for me? You know, what would it elicit? Uh, and I mean, a lot of, first, I get to, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are my favorite chapters of the whole entire Bible. I love mm. them and I read them often and I just, I love them. But first I was told God was angry with these two people because they ate, right? I was told the serpent was bad because he told them to eat. Mm. None of that is in the text. We added that because it serves penal substitutionary atonement theory. Yeah. But none of that is in there. And then we get to the flood and I was, I was told this was good. How in the hell do I reconcile a good God with a flood? Mm -hmm. How do I reconcile a man inside of a boat hearing the screams of people for their children yeah. and say, mm -hmm, good, 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 good. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then you it's go wild. on and on and on and on and on. And I kept looking at things, you know, we were told that Isa uh, Ishmael was bad and nowhere. It's nowhere there. Nowhere. You know, we are told that all these women that they had to be married to the patriarchs were were women of God. Not there. At, at the opposite. Some of them are idol worshippers. Mm -hmm. So I read all of these things and I go, wait, we were given a framework. We were given these stories um, and we were told this is how they work. This is what they are. This is what they mean. This is what they mean to you. And then we just run with it. So when we read it again, because if they start doing that to you when you're three and four and five, well, once you are an adult and read it, you already know the answers. Yeah. yeah. Well, the children's Bible book doesn't have any people in the water, right? In the pictures. No. So the next time you pick it up and you start reading, you've already kind of deleted. You're just thinking of the boat floating in this endless sea. like. And then the rainbow. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a great story. Now you can have Beautiful. Meat. Enjoy, you know? <laughs> right. So we, we read all of these things believing that we already know, but we don't know. And the reality is that I would say 90% of Christians have not engaged with the Bible with a clear framework, you know, because yeah. of Christian hegemony. Uh, Christian stories are everywhere. Go to yeah. pretty much any country in the West and you'll see churches that depict them. You'll see stories that depict them. Much of the way in which we do life in the world mm -hmm. has been framed because of Christianity in a certain way. You know, the, the, why do we marry the way that we marry? Why do we do the things yeah. that we do? Uh, even speaking about vows, at a, at a, where is the, this idea of vows from? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we realize, wow, Christian hegemony has seeped into all of society and so we think that's normal and that's white supremacy ideology that's white supremacy because white supremacy is not about being white or not it's about thinking that a way of life is superior than another way of life that a way yeah. of doing things is the right way of doing things is the proper way of doing things so of course all of these people who are christians coming to the americas indigenous people are doing things in ways that they don't understand and they were told are not proper because they're not mm. their way and they go nope all of this is wrong. You need to dress differently. Men don't have long hair. That's an abomination. Mm -hmm. Tattoos? Absolutely not. You know, just because they believe my way is the right way. Yeah. Why do you think your way is the right way? Well, God told me. Mm -hmm. Did he though? Well, no, he told my ancestors. Did he though? <laughs> or did yeah. they just write that he told them? Yeah. So then we need to reshape and reimagine. And I speak about this a lot. Like, 
if anything, right now that we're in the middle of a pandemic and the world is kind of noticing things don't work, mm-hmm. could we reimagine again the world? Could we reimagine what heaven looks like? Could we reimagine what church looks like? Could we reimagine what community looks like? Outside of all of the, you know, chewed up food we've been given, because that's what we've been eating, mm. baby food, baby food all yep. the time. And I, I think that we're ready to start, you know, digesting yeah. solids as a society and say, hey, this isn't working, you know? This is um, one of the things I'm quite excited about the pandemic. You know, talking about like, could we reimagine something like church? You you see like what the 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 biggest voices of like opposition to like uh, allowing people uh, or telling people not to gather. We're like the freaking pastors going, no, we I must know. have church. We must have church. And I understand their framework, the way they understand God, right. the way they understand spirituality does require come to a church because really that's where you meet God. That's the house of God, whatever. I mean, lots of incorrect or, or not incorrect. I don't want to say that. Um, different beliefs that cause them to have that framework um, that I would strongly disagree with. But one of the right. things that I get excited about, and I think this is ultimately actually a deeper core fear, because um, there's that, and that might be some honorable elements, misguided but honorable, but it's actually the deeper um, other elements of the trauma they're not admitting, they're not exposing, right. which is, shit, if people don't go to church and they suddenly realize they can have a great relationship with God outside of it, they what won't do we come do? back. Or how am I paying for my, you know, real, real problems of like, how am I paying for my kids' college now? Or am I putting food on the table right. or keeping the church open? Or, and, and I'm not suggesting by any shape of the stretch of the imagination that everyone's going to stop going to church because we've shut down for a few months. Um, I, I'm, I'm, far too, uh, I'm far too experienced in Christianity to know that that's likely to happen. But I do think there is a lot of room for people to suddenly realize, wow, what am I valuing? What do I think? What do I and think I mean, most of? And how do I, I connect I think, with God? Yes, and I think, look, people don't have a lot of time, right? That's what we mm-hmm. complain about the most. I don't have yeah. time. I don't have time. People don't spend, like if you look at most families, they don't spend a lot of time, quality time yeah. with their children and with their spouse. They don't spend a lot of quality time. And on one of their days off, we're asking to spend half of that at a church yeah. and letting another person take care of the spiritual development of their children mm-hmm. and also giving somebody else the power to take care of the spiritual development of ourselves. Yeah. And then suddenly we have to do church at home and we have to spend time with our kids and we have to mm-hmm. spend time because who, I mean, if, if parents want to do um, kids church, they are going to have to do it right now themselves. Right. And have these conversations mm. with kids themselves. And then perhaps people get to realize like, wait, we can <laughs> do this. And yeah. And I'd argue for a lot of parents, it's a little bit more beneficial like, to do that themselves. The, yeah. the spiritual development of our children is not something that you can outsource. No. I mean, it's, it's too serious. It's too important to just outsource it. Now, do churches paint it as we're just partnering with one another to do this? Sure. Is it happening? No. Yeah. Because time is limited. We, we had people in our church that when we were working for the church that would get to church at 5.30 because we had to do setup still and work a lot of things. And then two services later, they won't be leaving the church till 2, 3 p.m. Mm, on one of yeah. their days off. Like this is how you're using your day yeah. off. And then you're back for an evening service in some places. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. And I'm thinking if we really did care, if the church really did care about people's well-being, mm. we would absolutely not be okay with that. And, and maybe this pandemic is allowing for people to realize like, wait, what is what's best for me? Is yeah. it best for me to come here, mindlessly sit and hear messages, but not 
change really because church i speak about coping mechanisms and church for many people are just it's just a higher level coping you know than alcohol or Mm -hmm. you know work at workaholism or whatever so it's realizing like i'm just coping with church i just come here to check off the boxes look like the right person look like i'm doing work but perhaps i could be doing actual work and literally Mm -hmm. healing my brain and healing my responses my all of these things and and truly being transformed um so i'm hoping i i I wrote about this i'm hoping that we don't get out of this pandemic and just go back to normal because normal isn't working no it just it's not working um and i I hope that churches are insightful enough now because just like you said i know they aren't and it's not gonna happen but i i'm hoping that for some of them at least they are insightful enough to say we could have been doing this differently. And, and, and that goes for everything, you know, realizing that people could be working from home more. Like what if mm-hmm. people start working from home t- three days out of the week and not commuting yeah. and not leaving and not, you know, all of these things that we could reimagine the yeah. world in such ways that we could create a better place for everyone. Yeah. Realizing that we can live without buying luxuries for a long time. Yeah, seriously. Really totally fine. fine. Yeah. Everybody's fine that Louis Vuitton closed down. Nobody's missing anything. We're all surviving yeah. fine. If anything, we're probably doing better. Yeah. So how, how can we can we just sit down and say, hey, we can't go back to normal because normal isn't actually working. Yeah. Normal isn't good for literally anybody because even the most powerful that are being benefited by these systems, to hold on to that power, you have to dehumanize all the people that are not being yeah. benefited. So you're literally becoming a worse human being. No, it's nobody's being... Nobody's okay. We need yeah. to do better. So, so I'm, I'm just hoping did, that happens. Yeah, me too. No, they did a, a nationwide study in the UK um, where I'm um, earlier this week and they um, basically asked people, well, it's kind of a seven point scale or whatever, but um, to what degree do you hope to personally go back to the same lifestyle that you had before the pandemic? Yeah. And only 7% said they wanted wow. to go back. Wow. Like, so it does, it does make me think, I think that if change is going to happen, it's not going to happen at the top because I don't think many pastors are looking forward to the, the journey, the painful and complex and scary and, and <laughs> terrifying process that you've been through, you know, and many yeah. other people have been through of like, I don't want to redefine everything and, and turn my entire life upside down. But I think a lot of people are sitting there going, actually how much do I enjoy getting up on Sunday morning getting the kids right. just right and this and this you know or a lot of things that you know how many times have my boss told me for the last three years you can't work from home because it doesn't work and now I've had to do it for two weeks and work just fine well listen right. Jerry I'm never coming in again <laughs> suck yeah. it up you know because um, yeah. I get more work done at home I spend more time with my family I'm not sitting in a car for two hours every day listening yeah. to podcasts which is eh, worst ways to spend the time but I prefer to be with my family or, you know, absolutely. And so I think on the whole, people are looking within this yeah. time frame to be making changes. And I, I do think I have a lot of hope of individuals making that choice. I think, and, and I think honestly, that's generally speaking how systemic, uh, you know, these changes with the institution happen anyway, is generally yes. speaking, it gets to the, the pain point that the church goes, oh crap, everyone's left. We need to think, should we teach something different or should we run our services slightly different or should we, which you is know, what happened with the whatever. Bible. Like they wouldn't share the Bible with anybody. Then the people, enough people were like, dude, stop with yeah. the elite. Like it's elitist, you know? And so they started sharing. And I, I've been talking about this on, on my Instagram on having um, lives and talking about how sometimes we switch. Uh, at first, no system of oppression was ever toppled over by the powerful. 
No. Never, ever. Not historically. It's never going to happen. They, some of the powerful people don't even know how bad the harm is. They are not even aware, which no. is why I'm so cautious of all of these leaders worldwide that come from very privileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. They don't even know, you know, yeah. they, they have no idea. Um, so there's that. And then I've been talking about how we've been so conditioned to ask for change, but within the constraints of the oppression. Yeah. So, so we change the system enough to where it feels a little bit better. It's not hurting me as bad, mm -hmm. but it's eventually going to hurt me again because I didn't truly change. So what yeah. we need is to, what we need is to heal collectively. What yeah. we need is to say, listen, are we all going to admit collectively that we care more about the way we look, that we buy the houses that we buy because we want to prove something to someone, that our worth is deeply tied to our, um, to our purchase power? Are we going to admit collectively that mm -hmm. there is a lot of insecurities and there is a lot of trauma that we've you know, endured together and that has um, shaped the way in which we do life? Because if not, we're going to change the system just enough to where it feels a little better, but it really isn't. And, and yeah. the example I give with that is, uh, or one of the examples I give with that is, we move from Roman gladiators, which we all agree is totally wrong, mm -hmm. to professional sports, which is not much different, really. Mm. You know? I mean, a lot of, not many of these people get paid enough those who do are just very few and far between. Yeah. Regardless, everybody leaves in their 30s with messed yeah. up bodies. With yeah, a lot I mean, of or trauma. NFL, like major like brain injuries. Major brain injuries. Major brain injuries. Yes. <laughs> to where it's so bad that they end up committing suicide because they can't mm -hmm. live like this anymore. Yeah. Or going crazy and like attacking people. I mean, like. And exactly. And, and here we are. We're, we're sit down. We pay to watch that. Mm -hmm. But we look back at gladiators and we go oh barbaric yeah is it different though is it much different well I do, really. you know, it, it boils down to the thing of though i really like watching football right <laughs> i mean, I mean I, i'm joking about it i actually don't really care about football yeah, that yeah, much. i know what you mean um, but like uh, that's really what it boils. i mean just the amount of things that, that boil down to i mean I, I i say often like i am individually a vegan but you know what god damn do i love a steak you right. know, and it really boils right. down to that. Like, I love a steak and, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to feel even bad while I eat it. But man, does it taste good. And, <laughs> yes. and, and we, we all have these elements of like, and, and that's a silly one in, in one sense. I don't want to belittle like, you know, animal rights. I know what you mean. Things or yeah. the, the environment. But I'm just saying it's, it's quite an obvious one, but it's also like, I'm just being silly. of like, oh, I like the taste of that. But we do that in a lot of areas, right? So we're like, oh, I don't like the system of oppression, but but it does benefit me to be in this area because the schools are better and I've got three kids. And, right. Oh, and I that's want to change where, that anytime soon. Let me right. after they get out of school, we could change that maybe, you know, if my grandkids don't live in this area. Uh. <laughs> and that's what I've had to grapple with, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's also what, where I say, the marginalized have to lead us out of here. Yeah. Because if it's, uh, if it's the powerful leading us, then we'll continue to figure out ways you know, because it's uncomfortable. It's just too uncomfortable. Yeah. But until we find the most marginalized communities in this earth, the most marginalized community, the people that are living with a dollar a day, yeah. you know, when we find them and we say, what would a good world look like? Yeah. How can we ensure that you all have all of your basic needs met? I was telling my husband, I, had a, I couldn't sleep last night. I can't sleep a lot during this pandemic. I think my brain is, even though I don't feel anxiety, 
I don't feel like I'm anxious. My brain is like, no, we are, we are. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't sleep. So I was thinking, and I was like, what would it look like if we said, this is what we're going to do worldwide, you guys, nobody's going to buy any luxuries anymore. You know, you, we are going to buy the things that we need. That's it. Just the things that we need. And I'm not talking about, um, overriding self-care. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a difference sure. between self-care and luxuries, but we're not going to buy any luxuries and all the money that we would have spent in luxuries. We are instead going to pull together as a community to, together, all 7 billion of us. And we're going to start moving all of that money to the most marginalized. And we're going to keep doing that until the most marginalized and everybody has access to education. What good education has a place to live in that is safe and clean. They have access to clean, drinkable water mm -hmm. uh, until they have food and nobody has to worry about eating five yeah. meals a day. Um, you know, healthcare. until everybody, healthcare, have access, everybody has access to healthcare mm -hmm. until we ensure that everybody in this world, all seven billion of us have that. None of us get to spend a dime on luxuries. Yeah. None of us. And we could. This could happen. Yeah. It's, you know, the amount of money that is wasted, literally wasted on yeah. things that we don't need is outrageous. But what if instead of saying like, oh, because I, I hear that at churches all the time and I hear that from people also from like self-care, self-help mm. people. Like instead of spending $5 on Starbucks, just save it and then save enough so that you have a retirement fund. Okay, well, that's cute. People are dying of hunger though. Mm -hmm. And those $5 are more than people are five times what people make in a week. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's like meals for a week for a week. A lot of so, so I don't know that I should be thinking of retirement right now, mm -hmm. but we want to be safe and comfortable and we do, are all traumatized by poverty. We have, we all have poverty trauma that comes from centuries and centuries and generational trauma. So we mm -hmm. all are so afraid that we want to hoard wealth instead yeah. of realizing if we all pull in together, perhaps we all would be well, but it yeah. means that it's going to cost us some of the comfort and some of the safety um, that we want to hold on to so tightly. Yeah, certainly short term. I, 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 I agree. I agree massively. I think um, I, to play devil's advocate, I don't know if humanity's evolved enough yet. I, I really- No, I think, absolutely not. I, I think <laughs> that we're in this weird position. I Because I, I always try and be even handed with this stuff as well, because I'm I'm European, right? So I'm like crazy. I mean, even for like, you know, the most wild liberal American, I probably seem like a crazy, like leftist or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's all, it's again, coming out of those bubbles and realizing, oh, right. wow. Yeah. Like we have very different definitions of political, religious, all these different things. Absolutely. So I, I'm probably extremely kind of like off the deep end anyway for most Americans. Um, so I, I agree with that. Like, off the, I mean, we look at America and go, are you kidding me? You guys are like worse than some third world countries that have healthcare by default. Like, I'm like, so what bad. is happening? So, uh, and, and you pay more than any country that has free medical care. You pay more to not get it. And I'm I like, know. what per person? Like, it's just, yeah. Anyway, so like, I look at some of that and I'm like, yeah, of course, duh. But it, 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 I think it's really important that we look at how much we've shifted. You know, so I, I, I look at like things like, good God, like we are so racist still. And then I go, we were lynching people 60, 70 years ago. And, and in some ways that's, we still are lynching people, um, you know, and oh, well, we had slavery 200 years ago. And then oh, right. actually slavery 200 years ago was a big improvement on like what it was just five, 600 years. And so like there's this, there, the, the, the rate at which we're moving forward, the rate, the conversations we're having um, are extraordinary at how much we're having them. And, and, and so I, I think there's a lot to be said that it's very positive at the momentum. The fact that, like the fact that healthcare is a norm isn't it, it, it is is 
bizarrely looked on upon in in like the couple of countries that don't have it ireland america you know western uh, wealthy countries yeah we're like what's happening there like that's weird that's incredible that's a default now everyone's like yeah well duh if you're sick that's a human right you should just get that sorted straight away for free duh. like what what a bizarre notion like that's an incredible achievement the the thing that i wonder right so we've got these massive psychological jumps things that go oh yeah well obviously that person is just as valuable as me however right. i don't think physiologically we've caught up you know if you look at the the rate of change physiologically of like how we've evolved um to see other people to organize to even the way you know one of the things is why are we all obese right now is because we still have the same physiologically makeup that we've had for the last hundred thousand years which is oh my god sugar that's really high in energy i won't have to eat for ages if i have that so it's great because i might not see food for another day and so we just eat right. crap ton of fruit well now we just walk into the store and go twizzlers you know like or whatever we just eat like sugar for four hours straight and then go why why do i do that it was like well it's physiologically wired into me to go ooh, energy i'll just fill up right um, and so we've got these things why are, we, why are we racist that's actually ingrained in us so we are ingrained to go you look different you are from a different tribe you are a threat and my tribe that looks like me are safe and historically that's very accurate like you know any anthropologist you know any archaeologist doing some digging goes whoa these bones like i think it's like is it seven if you go back i think it's about up to about 20 years um in fact i think it's uh, 20,000 sorry 20,000 years but i think up until even about like 5,000 years ago they, they estimate about between 60 and 80 percent of um humans that died died from violence Right. Yes, I read That's that. Astonishing. Did you read Sapiens, astonishing. The book, yeah. Okay. Sapiens, yeah. Maybe it was the Sapiens. Yes. I read it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I mean, we, we look at things and we're like, wow, there's a lot less than eighty percent of people dying from violence. So we right. can we can go, geez, why are we still talking about like things like you know whatever uh, you know why is like gun crime so high? Why uh, uh, police brutality? Why are like kids right. beating up each other in the inner city? But actually, we go, we're a lot better than eighty percent. Um, so we're, we're moving, but I think. I think on a, some fundamental level, I don't know if we're there that we are able to fight against that core thing within us that goes, I need to gather, I need to protect, my family are more important. Like that, that dark side within us that goes, yeah, I do love everyone and I will give some money to that charity and look after that. And I do feel bad when I see a picture of a starving African on TV or, you know, and I'll maybe even do the three pounds a month pledge or three dollars a month, whatever. But Eh, I'd let that kid die if my kid was going to die instead. Right. And you know? that's where we, and, and yeah, that's right. Hard ingrained. Like, how do we, I just don't know how we move past that, you know, other than and just I, that's where intentionality, the implicit, education. Exactly. And that's where we, we have to. And that's where I see actually the power that the church could have. Mm. The power of challenging implicit biases. The power of saying, I know that we've been told. Because see, what Jesus was inviting people to was a, a reframing, you know, a reshaping of society, a reimagining of the world. Uh, I, I believe that when he spoke about the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm -hmm. I don't think we were talking about an afterlife. I think we were talking about it's 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 a it's at hand. It's yeah. The ability to bring this about is within us, um, and that's where education takes a huge. And, and we do so much better yeah. with education as it is. You know, like I look at my daughter's my daughter's school is is absolutely excellent. And I know that's not the experience of all children in the world. Yeah. Um, is this just because you keep phoning them? 
I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, they, they really are excellent. Uh, one of the teachers actually is the daughter of a big progressive, um, I don't want to name him because I don't want to blast her either, but it's a, <laughs> he's a big progressive name in the Christian world. And that's the daughter. And she wrote a book about children too and um, how to teach children to love well and be agents of transformation in their communities. Mm. And so even like a lot of the writing prompts throughout this whole pandemic have been, how can you be an agent of transformation? How can you, how can we make our community better? How can you make wow. our home life better uh, in the middle of all this uncertainty? And they do a lot of like affirmations, like this is uncomfortable. It's okay to be, you know, disappointed. This is all of these things that I really appreciate. So already we are doing a much better job. Absolutely. Um, I think that it's just, we need to continue to do it, yeah. you know? And, and, that when people ask me, like, how do I start within, you know, start asking what yeah. are the implicit biases that I have? If I ask a person, what is your childhood trauma? And they just tell me, my childhood was awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I already know, like, okay, well, you've done no work because all of us have childhood <laughs> trauma. All of us. If I say, what are your insecurities? You know, mm. and they go like, I'm not a very insecure person. Okay, mm. well, you're not a safe person for me because you are not aware you're not self-aware and self-awareness is step one. Uh, I can tell you all my insecurities. I can tell you, I go into work mode. I think my, my worth is in my work. So mm -hmm. it's hard for me to not put work <laughs> down, you know, because I feel validated when my work is moving. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about at midnight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> at I was, the weekend. <laughs> I, was doing, I was doing math and I was like, gosh, it's going to be late for him. I mean, uh, so, but you know, so. I, I, I know my insecurity, it's hard for me to ask people to pay me for my work. As a yeah. woman in the world, as a woman of color in America, mm. I feel like it's just inappropriate for me to ask for money. Uh, white, so I have an alter ego. He's a white man. He's the one that asks for money. Because uh, I have to play mind games with myself. You yeah. know, he has, his name is Atticus. Um, I have to play mind games with myself to override the conditioning that yeah. I have been given. Uh, but I'm aware of those things, you know? Yep. Like I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware that it's hard. I'm aware that when people ask me to do something for them, it's super extremely hard for me to say no. Mm. And, I, and I have to know why, I love to be needed. Yeah. I love to be needed. I was the oldest child of uh, divorced parents who they relied a lot on me to be able mm. to help with my sister. And I thought, well, if they always need me to help with my sister, they'll always need me. And that's where I felt loved the most. So yeah. I'm aware of all of these things. How do we start the self-awareness? So that we stop living on, um, on these conditionings, on our subconscious mind, on yeah. I have to protect the wealth because I don't know if we're gonna be able to have money tomorrow. I have yeah. to protect my children instead of, ah, you have to just equip them and give them all the tools because they will have to face reality one day. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we have to just stop living in our subconscious mind, which is what I call the autopilot. Yeah that it's comfortable, but it doesn't lead us to liberation. It doesn't lead us to heaven. Yeah. It just leads us to comfort and, and comfort is not heaven. I don't want that. Did you go through therapy for any of this? Because it fascinates me because I, I, I am a weird, weird person, like really weird. I, I'm very aware. I've got a whole bunch of different elements. I've got some different, um, my own traumas, my own insecurities. I've got some physical elements going on. I've got a condition called alexithymia, which means I don't know what my emotions are. So if I feel angry right now, I don't know. And it's only after looking back going, oh, I was getting really like animated and I was yelling. 
I was probably angry or, you know, I, I, I don't mm. know if I'm sad. I can be crying and not actually know the emotion that's happening. Cognitively, so, yeah. Um, so it's a fascinating condition. Um, and, and some of that can come from trauma and some of stuff, but actually a lot of it is, um, is physically, uh, has yeah. been found as well. And so, and I don't know what my makeup of that is. I actually imagine a lot more of it is trauma than actually, uh, physical, but, and I work on different things that happen. So I'm a very, I'm, I'm very, I've got an interesting makeup when it comes to stuff yeah. like that. Cause I am analytical, intellectual. I look Theory at things. Girl. I don't, I don't, I don't get too caught up in my emotions because I don't really know I've got emotions. And often by the time I realized I was emotional, I've kind of processed it and I'm through it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really yeah. nice sometimes, um, especially in our line of work, uh, you know, where you right. deal with certain people and you're just hearing things and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is like crazy. Um, I'm really glad I don't really have any idea what emotions are coming up for me right now. Yeah. Um, but like, so I, I'm really intentional with somebody. And, and so something like that, I'm like, I, I've been spending the last like seven, eight years, probably a bit longer, really working hard on trying to do some deep diving, you know, trying to figure out what emotion I feel right now, what's going on in my body, what's happening. I, I don't feel many of us, and I don't know if but before, like maybe eight, nine years ago, I wasn't massively intentional about doing deep dives into yeah. myself. It took me going through a divorce, realizing, whoa, I've got some mm. shit in me. It's not just the person in front of me. They've got their own stuff, um, but I've got stuff I need to work on. And it took me yeah. to have that pain point to go, okay, let's look in. Uh, I, I don't know how much most people do that work. How, I, I, I don't, because, you know, we talk about what's your insecurity? Oh, I don't know, I'm not insecure, you know, or what was your trauma? I don't, I don't have trauma. And it's not that they, that they, they don't have it. Obviously, most people have mm-hmm. something who is somewhere, but it is, they genuinely are being truthful most of the time. I think a lot of yeah, time we're just know. scared to say, um, but actually, yeah, if you've done enough work to actually figure it out, you're probably fairly open and a bit more vulnerable. Um, so, so people don't even know that work needs to be done. Or, or if they do know, they go, like, where do I even begin? Like, what, what yeah. was that for you? Was that something that you were intentional about? Or is that something you kind of stumbled into? You, you mentioned it largely to do with the process of when you were coming out of church, realizing a lot of white supremacy or implicit racism, yeah. and things like that. Like, how did that I mean, work I, out for you? I think pain always... Pain, pain, you can do two things with pain. Double down on your trauma mm-hmm. um, or let it lead you to healing, mm. you know? So um, that's what some people call like leaning to the pain, just leaning. Yeah. What is this pain communicating to me? Just like physical pain. I mean, you can do two things, ignore it, and then you get gangrene or pay attention to it and take care of it and really heal, mm. you know? Um, so I, I think I had experienced a lot of pain through my life and through the years, like all of us, you know, mm-hmm. pain is life. <laughs> and then I didn't have the tools to lean in to my pain. Um, I just didn't have the tools. And then as I continue, that's why I say healing is a privilege uh, yeah. because it requires tools. So yeah. then after I left the church, I was so determined. I am also very analytical and things have to make sense and, um, you know, math makes sense. Yeah. Two plus two equals four. I can work with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I started reading a lot. Um, and then I started finding people that were speaking things that were transforming my worldview. And so I, I, I started paying them on Patreon. That's where my tithes started okay. going. <laughs> so I was tithing to people on Patreon that were helping me really. Uh, and then I found a woman that, well, I found a several women, um, I was determined to also let the marginalized lead me. So I didn't want to find white men speaking about things. I had heard mm-hmm. my whole entire life from white men. I think I know what white men have to say. Yeah. Um, then yeah. I started This is where that at- has got me so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started listening to some white women too. And I found a lot of the, 
you know, positivity, like just think positively. Uh, and, and I realized none of them are real, like none of them can speak to me about being a woman of color in America with an mm. accent. Um, the fact that I go to the park and I hear sometimes women, like I, I heard one woman particularly screamed, you know, I'm going to call eyes on you. Um, and that's painful because mm. it's weaponizing things. Uh, I, I said, go ahead. She could. I, I have documentation. But, um, but just hearing all these things and realizing my whole life, a lot of the things that had been oppressing me and a lot of the things that were painful to me and I just didn't have the language for uh, were because I was a marginalized community in the world as a woman and as yeah. a woman of color and now as a woman of color in America whose first language is not English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, okay, I want women, I want marginalized communities to lead me. So I found some indigenous people and I found a Mexican woman that is a therapist uh, and she's decolonizing therapy and decolonizing psychology. And then I found two black women and then a trans man, um, a trans black man. And I started paying them, honestly. That's, that's what I did. I started paying them on Patreon to, you know, the best, my husband and I didn't make a lot of money again. We had to reframe our whole entire sure, yeah. thing. My husband started doing Uber. I started doing Uber too. So I did Uber in the morning. He did Uber for the rest of the day. Like we just kind of figured it out at the beginning. But with the little extra that we had, um, we started paying these people to lead us. And every book suggestion that they had, we would then buy with my mother-in-law's Amazon account. Um, So we just kind of figured out ways in which we could heal. And we just started devouring all the books, all the content. I started Mm. following people on Instagram and on on, um, Twitter. And that led to a to a separation we separated for physically for six weeks my husband left the house for six wow. weeks but we were separated you know physically too like we weren't ha- having sex we weren't together for about 16 months wow. uh, because we we realized our marriage was all based on christianity i married him because i believed god told me he married me because he believed god told him mm. looking back wow our trauma told us to marry one another yeah. not god and so we needed to figure out, do we still want to be married? Um, is there something worth salvaging here? Mm. Do I want to be with you? Do I, I didn't want to have sex. Something in my brain just, which happens often to a lot of women inside of purity mm-hmm. culture. Once they get married, they don't want to have sex. Because we've been told our whole life sex is bad. We are bad. We can't be sexy. Yeah. Sex is bad. We are the bad thing. Our body is bad. So I get married. I don't want to have sex. Um I betrayed myself over and over and over again and had sex against my own will, which is the definition of rape. And I don't think my husband was raping me. Religion was raping me. And so I get to this place where I'm like, I'm not going to betray myself ever again. And I don't know Mm. if I'm ever going to want to have sex. Do you want to be married to me? Mm. Knowing that's, that's it. I still will do work. I'll heal from this trauma. I'll do everything I can. So I started doing specific like healing for sexual abuse, which is what purity culture is sexual abuse yeah um you know and and those are the conversations that we had to have and i was having these very deep uncomfortable conversations with the people that i was paying online and then with my husband we did go to therapy and therapy just didn't he kept going it was good for him it helped him it didn't help me i don't know why like traditional Mm. therapy yeah um i just felt like i was talking yeah but it wasn't going anywhere. Was, no, was your husband going through this this process of, I mean, because obviously he's got a very different experience being um, cis white male, uh, American, you know. Um, so obviously he's not got the same things that sparked a lot for you. 
Um, yeah. Was he, but he obviously still got kind of like encouraged to leave the church. Um, yeah. So he, what was his, um, were you guys on a similar path or were you kind of moving at a much different rate or what? Oh no, was I was that a major running. Factor as well? Yeah. I was running away from the church and him and I were fighting, mm. you know, we were, we were offered a job at another church. And you know how churches are, you know, they have to interview. He was offered a job. I wasn't, mm -hmm. he was offered a yeah. job. <clears throat> and so we, they, the, the pastors, the lead pastor, his wife, the executive pastor and his wife invited us to dinner. So we go to dinner and I start asking the most uncomfortable questions because mm. I needed to know, because I wasn't about, it was a five year contract. I right. wasn't about yeah, to wow. sign a five year contract. Yeah. It would have killed You've me. You've just done 10 years at the last place. Yeah, <laughs> it would have, it would have killed me. And I knew it. I knew that I didn't have the emotional capacity to handle that for mm. five years. <clears throat> so I asked them, what's your stance on women? Um, they gave me a vague answer and I knew Not their stance on women. I, I knew it. I knew their stance on women, but I asked. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a vague answer. At one point, one of the pastors said, you know, I mean, we, we subscribe to what the Bible says. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? I was like, where? Yeah. Where in the, like, what part of the Bible? Yeah. And they, well, you know, you in, know the, what in the says, New Testament. That, what that means, though, because anyone that uses that phrase, they're only reading the Bible <clears throat> through a really weird lens. Yeah, but I was, and I was being a dick at this point, and I, I am aware no. of that. And I said, what part, <laughs> what part of the Bible? What part of the Bible? And they go, well, in the New Testament. And I was like, do you mean First Timothy 2? And they go, yeah, I think I can't think of it at the top of my head. And I was like, well, it is important at the top of my head because this yeah. is my life. Yeah. Like this I am is, a woman this is actually and my I am one a pastor Bible verse in the New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> this is my Bible verse I have to deal with every day. And, yeah. And I was like, so Let it is important to it. me. <laughs> yeah. And they go, no. And that's part of the reason we want you guys, you know, because you are a strong woman and thank you. they give us this, the mm. runaround. And then I ask questions about LGBTQ community. And then I ask questions about boundaries and about yeah. what is their expectation of their employees. And they answered because the pastor had had a baby about three months before mm. and he the baby was born on Saturday, and I want you to guess what he was doing on Sunday. Well, preaching. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all he was of that there is new for child. All services, four yeah. chapters, oh, four wow. services. He was there for all of them. And I, I was like, well, I need to know what your boundaries with what you, because if that is your yeah. expectation, we're out. Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 no. The baby was early, so we weren't ready. How the hell are you not ready? How early was the baby? Um, yeah. So they give us this runaround, right? And my husband, the whole time he's sitting there and like he's nodding and he's agreeing. But at the same time, he's like, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is the matter yeah. with you? This is what our is the paycheck. <laughs> yes, yes. And I get it. You know, he feels because he's been indoctrinated to believe he's mm -hmm. supposed to be his the breadwinner. Right? It's his responsibility. He's like, I'm, I'm trying here and you are putting blocks in front of me. He's like, you know, my entire resume says pastor the hell do you want me to do so so it was hard for him you know and he yeah. defended the pastor he was he i would tell him like what he said is just so manipulative and he'd be like well you need to see it from his point of view and so we'd fight you know mm. we just have these fights and he still wanted to subscribe to the very patriarchal parenting my kids have to obey me controlling parenting and i yeah didn't anymore like it didn't make sense so i i told him one day i stood bef between him and my oldest daughter and i said listen i know that we've been told that i shouldn't question your authority because i'm going to harm your relationship with her but all i keep thinking is the many times that my dad didn't say anything to my mom and how he betrayed me mm. so i'm not going to do that to my daughter every time you talk to her that way i will stand between you and her and you and i are going to have to fight 
And so we fought and fought and fought. And at one point, I really thought these guys are going to leave me. And he would be right to, you know, we were just mm. so far from one another. Because also he had to let go of Christianity. And for me, I became a Christian. My parents were kind of Catholic, but not super serious about it. And then my dad became a Christian. And then we all became Christians. But for him, he's a 10 generation Christians. They wow. are proud of these. Like they yeah. tell you when you get into this family, they're like, oh, we're 10 generations Christians. We're pastors. We're ministers. We're um, missionaries. They Like one of his aunts started a missionary um, yeah. orphanage in Bali. The other one is a missionary in Turkey. Like this is who they are. And yeah. here I come and I go, hey, you are all white supremacists. And I need you to destroy these. I mean, I didn't say that, but that's kind of what I was saying. Because white supremacy is not the KKK, you know? Um, yeah. I was upholding white supremacy too. Mm -hmm. So it was hard. And I really thought we were going to lose each other here. There is, we're going to lose each other. For 16 months, it was miserable. We didn't like each other. I wanted him to go to work in the mornings. And then he'd come home and we'd have talks. And it was hard. And he'd walk away. And then, but he was wow. deeply committed to healing too. He didn't want to continue to be he was he also has codependency we all do um so he wanted to heal too so he started doing the work of healing and so did i and he started meeting me and we would have it was a lot of work for both of us you know to try to meet each other like help me understand what you're saying here mm -hmm. uh, so when i started talking about privilege he looked at me i grew up very privileged in colombia my my mom particularly had money and she paid for my schooling. She paid, I had, I was 17 years old and she gave me a brand new car. Mm. Um, you know, our, my vacations were in Miami. Um, that's where I spent every summer. So, and to me, that was normal. It's yeah. not normal for Colombians to do that. It's not normal at all. Uh, I went to a private school where the, my, one of my classmates was the son of the president. Um, wow. A lot of ministers, their kids were in school with me. So that was my reality. That's how I grew up. And then I, my husband comes from a small town. His dad was a school principal from the public school of the small town in Washington state next to Canada. Um, you know, not, not a lot of wealth privilege, just yeah. middle-class white people. Yeah. So I start talking to him about privilege and he goes, what in the world are you speaking about? Yeah, how dare if you? Anybody, <laughs> yes, if anybody in this relationship has privilege, it's you, not me. Yeah. Not at all. Like I've had to pay for everything I've ever gotten. Yeah. I've had to pay, I've had to earn it. So we have these conversations, you know, and we start, I start, we start reading together and learning together and reading all these books, anti-racism anti books and anti-bias mm. work together. And he, it was hard for him to grapple with, oh my gosh, I did, I wasn't even aware. I wasn't aware. And, I, and one of the things I had to tell him is, look, if you and I pick a church, any church, Pick one church at random. What are the probabilities that if you and I go and apply for a job there, that they give you an interview and that they give me an interview? Who's more? Ed I'm, I have more education than he. Right. I was actually going to ask have, that because you've got a master's, right? And, yeah. So I yeah. have more education than you, but who gets a second interview? Mm -hmm. And wh whose resume gets tossed by 80% of churches mm -hmm. just because of my gender and then because of the fact that I'm Colombian? You know, how many times have we gotten stopped at airports in the world, around the world? How many times have I gotten stopped? So many times. He was shocked when he started traveling with me. And he's like, why do you get stopped everywhere? I'm like, because my passport is Colombian. <laughs> That's it. It's the only yeah. reason I get stopped. I was asked to get a, an x-ray of my abdomen at one point. 
Wow. in one of the airports and he was shocked he was like this has to be illegal and i was like i have two options to say no and they don't get yeah. me on the plane or to say yes so um, what do you want me to do and he was like well it's wrong and i was like i understand that i don't have options yeah. this has but, been my life you know, time. Yeah. Time, man. <laughs> and for him it was just these like outrageous and i'm like but you've never had to live that reality yeah. i have this is not new for me they would poke mm-hmm. my my luggage all the time where they would damage some of my clothing and i who am I going to fight? Yeah. And he was like, this is just not okay. I'm like, that's your privilege that you don't mm. think that's okay. Um, 60% of the world that travels, we have to deal with that. You know, yeah. people that wear, you know, sick folk that have to wear the, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I forgot the name. Uh, how do you think they get, they get treated at airports? Yeah. You know, women that wear the hijabi, how do you think they get treated at airports? And so we start talking about privilege and we start talking about, our privilege that we hold and then the oppressed kind of like identities that we hold and he goes i don't have oppressed identities aside from the fact that i'm not rich but compared to the universe like compared to all seven million of us i am rich yeah Um, yeah it's true you don't have a lot of oppressed identities and so we start having these conversations and it's hard and for a moment i thought we're 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 gonna lose each other it's there's no way we're gonna move forward but we have and i tell him i think that we're still married because you loved me more than you love jesus mm. um and he did he loved me more than he loved jesus yeah you know because he had to lose the jesus he had been given he had to lose a lot of his identity um because he was determined on, on not losing me and not losing me meant he had to grapple with all of this you know yeah so it um, must have been a yeah. very very tough process I, I'm sure, I mean, it was tough for me in my own ways, but I'm sure it was very, very tough for him. I mean, and this isn't over, you know, like his family no. <clears throat> struggles a lot more with this, with my work particularly, because he's not very yeah. vocal. I mean, not online. He's not very vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, his family struggles with everything I say, and he has to have conversations with them. And um, he knows it's costing him relationship with his family. Yeah. Um, my family's different. They don't, they are like, are you happy? Yeah, cool. So, and I knew that all along, I knew it wouldn't cost me my family. It would never cost me my family. He knew it could. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same, you know, again, doing public ministry, like I've never had any debts about my family. My family are like very, very, uh, very Christian, a bit of a spectrum on what that looks like, but like always just be like, dude, as long as you're doing you you're happy you're healthy we're happy um but i know for my wife's family like um they're slightly different they're very chill as well actually on the whole but it's things like oh my my friends have had my entire life suddenly going "Mm, we're just gonna take a few steps back and not talk anymore or churches i've been associated with going uh we really liked having you around (laughs) and we didn't even mind you being a little bit like outspoken occasionally about some sort of weird thing that you go actually it's not really like that or maybe like what about this you could do that but we don't like that other people, you know, I would, I would go to, I've spoken over 400 churches in one year on my, on my wow. business year when I was traveling. It was insane. So, I mean, that I was traveling insane. and speaking everywhere constantly and like overnight just by changing and being a little bit more open or focusing on a few more different things. I knew overnight things would yeah. dry up and, and it did, yeah. you know, I, I now get no invitations to churches, maybe a handful a year, but I do like small groups and homes and stuff now because yeah. that just does, that's not a thing when you speak about these you, things and you, you, you know, you, what was up, the, you know, the, the one, sacrifices. yeah, you know, the one that I knew, <clears throat> I knew that if I said these, I knew it was the first one 
it was over. Like my career as I knew it was over was the moment I became LGBTQ affirming. Oh gosh. That's just, I was like, that's it. I know. I know that if I go ahead and say gay people can get married, just that. Mm -hmm. And that's not what I said. I said, trans people, transphobia is a sin. And I speak a lot about transphobia being a sin and Islamophobia being a sin and all Mm -hmm. this. So I said, transphobia is a sin, which was a still kind of like a safe way. Yeah. Oh, that's very, but I knew, (laughs) I knew. I knew because transphobia is a sin that should not even be, you know, whatever sin is, but I knew I was crossing this line where all of my contacts, all of the people from my life, all of my career was burned underneath this. Uh, And it's back to that conversation, but who would I be protecting the powerful meaning me and everybody else Mm -hmm. or the marginalized, meaning the LGBTQ community, you know, who feels safe now in my presence, the marginalized. So I'll, I'll burn it. I'll burn it all. Well, that's the thing I've always said, like, so people ask me like, well, Phil, why do you do this? Like, cause you were doing really well in that world and you were fine and you could operate in that world. And and a part of it was, I actually didn't really mind because I was helping people take steps out of it anyway. So I I feel it's a very important role for some people to be in that place to help to be a middleman. Yeah. I think people like Richard Rohr are amazing at that. You know, they live in that bubble, but they are not in that bubble. They are like, right. you know, a whole nother place dimensionally. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but they're helping people make that transition. So I think that's good and important. But for me, I was like, look, at the end of the day, I look at, you know, 99% of the people out there, shit hits the fan. They need support. They need help. They need whatever. There's yeah. pastors for days for them forever and listen endless passages you look at people that are deconstructing you look at people that are in marginalized groups uh, you know whatever that might be whatever that might look like very few people to turn to they go gosh i could really need you know someone that is um uh, you know gay or trans or something in my city which is you know in europe pretty progressive place um if if they were to have some sort of crisis and maybe they don't have much faith and they go oh i grew up christian i'd really like to try and get plugged into a community or speak to a pastor and have them support me they tape into com- into a computer no gay gosh. friendly church manchester you know in the city i live in you know the first five results of that are churches that all and they've all paid to hit on that search yeah. results all of them are not affirming now they'll all not say they're not affirming, but they're immediately walking into a trap. And so um, for me, I'm like, how do I right. navigate? I need right. to be not this, I need to be one of the people. Like at least, at least there's one more person in the city that they might come across, you know. And I'm, I'm the same online. Absolutely. At least there's one more person online. There's more and more people online every day. It's exciting, but this is the fastest growing movement of Christianity. If you can, mean mm-hmm. of of the twenty seventh. Uh, 2,700 people every day leaving the church. I know. Um, 80% of them are still professing to have some sort of faith. And so this is a huge movement of like 2,000 people a day leaving church and going, okay, but where is my community and who's pastoring me? I know. And, I think and the, the thing is, I, I and who's done it? Like, how do I know I'm going to be okay? I need to know yeah, I'm going to be okay because it doesn't feel. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and the thing is, we look at them and we say, no, there is not. However, you're going to be fine. Like, yeah. breathe easy and you don't have to do this alone. That's what I say to people. And I'm very, very cautious of not communicating myself in such a way that I look like an expert because there is no expert <laughs> on this. There is no yeah. expert on deconstruction. There is, and that is white supremacy, you mm-hmm. know, deep within. The, the idea of I'm the expert, look at me. Uh, well, I'm not the expert. Um, no. I'm, I'm just somebody that's done deconstruction and that yeah. is 
doing decolonizing work and decolonizing faith. Mm. Um, and perhaps some of my journey may serve you as a tool, uh, but I'm not. The only expert, the only expert mm. is you. The only expert on your journey, on your life, on your spirituality, yeah. it's you. You just need some tools that some of us can give you. Like yeah. I needed tools, I need tools from a whole bunch of people from different corners of the world. Uh, because because of Christianity and how we've been wired, we are desperately looking for the expert. Yeah. Just desperately. Yeah. And it's hard to just tell people, I, I don't, you don't yeah. want me to be your expert. No. You yeah. don't want and me to I be your expert. I fight that every, do you know, like the amount of times people message me and just want me to be their new pastor. They're like, you know, I've got this question. I've got this decision to make. I've got this whatever. Yeah give me oh gosh and the and the, the truth is on some level oh my ego likes that yeah Absolutely. i'd love to be your like hero you know or whatever i'd love to be the expert i'd love to everyone to look at film and go wow look at this guy um we all love that um and i'm working on that shit within me trying to deal with that right um but like it's 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 just a proof of this like endemic element of, of christianity that is we are built for the hierarchy. We are built to go, who's in charge here? Who's, who's going to show me the way? Who's going to tell me, dictate yeah. my steps, tell me the path that I need? Even though nobody, like you said, nobody knows you better than you. You know the yeah. path. Like, so you know what's wild? questions would do better. Jesus did that. Mm. You know, he kept saying, people would come with questions and he'd give them questions. Yeah. He only answers two questions in the all four right. gospels. <laughs> and he is hinting all the time at go within. You have yeah. the answers. Go within. Mm. Go within. He tells me, what do you want, essentially? You know, I, I when people talk to me now, before, when I was a pastor, I, I was very good at giving answers. They were probably horrible answers. Uh, <laughs> but now people ask me questions and they go, what do you want? Mm. So people yeah. never even ask, what do I really want? We are not, we have not been wired and conditioned from childhood to be aware of what we want. Yeah. You know, we've been conditioned and wired to do the right thing. But sometimes what we want doesn't look like the right thing. No. Yet it is what we should do, you know, because sometimes what we want, for instance, I, I ask people, I have, I, I'm talking to a friend of mine and she's walking through a lot of hard stuff in her marriage. And I tell her like, what do you want? Do you want a divorce? Is that what you want? Because if you want a divorce, get a divorce. Or if you don't know what you want, voice that. I don't know what I want. Mm. Uh, but if you are staying in this marriage because you've been told that's the right thing, yeah. you're betraying yourself, you know? Yeah. So we've been having all these conversations about, like, and that's what building a safe, being a safe person means. Yeah. Being able to, people come to you and you're, you don't have answers for them, but you're helping them to discern what it is that they want by asking the yeah. questions that they are too afraid to ask themselves. Because that's the only thing. We're so afraid of asking these questions. We're so afraid to admit that sometimes what we want is not, it's so, it's uncertainty and it's, it's the, we're afraid of it. Yeah. Um, so I, this desire to have answers and this desire to have experts and this desire of hierarchy stands in opposition of everything Jesus did. Mm. You know, they, yeah. they keep asking him, which is the greatest of all of us? And he keeps saying, you guys, come on now. There's no greatest. The greatest of you is the, you know, the one that serves, the one that loves the best, the one that, but all the way to the last supper. So who's the greatest? Good Lord, guys, come on. Mm -hmm. You know, and he keeps challenging and he goes, you all think I'm the greatest. So I'm going to go ahead and wash your feet and yeah. see if you get it. 
that it's not yeah. about being the greatest in the eyes of everybody else, yeah. but about being true to who you are, about being faithful to the person mm -hmm. that you were created to be. And so we talk about all of these things about Jesus, about loving Jesus and following Jesus. Yet we look and it's not what we're living out. It's not yeah. how we're framing our yeah. lives. It's not how we're framing our, our, our societies even. Yeah. And the opposite, we are holding tight to everything Jesus was like, we shouldn't do that anymore, perhaps, mm. you know? We yeah. should be willing to lay down our privilege. We should be willing to pick up our cross. We should be, um, and, and, and we should be propping up the other. We should be lifting up the other and not being so concerned with lift me up, mm. you know? So, yeah, so yeah I, I, I look at that and the hierarchy. I, that's why I don't go to church, by the way, hierarchies, because I have yet to find a church where hierarchies don't exist. Mm -hmm. And so long as there are hierarchies, somebody's being stepped on yeah they might not be aware of it but somebody's being stepped on um so and, and that's challenging because that has changed the way in which i talk to my children mm -hmm. the way in which i see the dynamics of my family the way in which i see the dynamics in the world the way in which i do the work that i do uh, because i don't want to be on top of anybody i don't want hierarchies i want to build a community in my life a, a family Yep. where we collaborate with one another. There is no competition, but there yeah. is collaboration. Yeah. And I think that creates responsibility, right? So at the end of the day, that's what creates the stuff that makes you do the work, right? So when someone comes to me and asks for advice and I go, well, what do you think? You know, like yeah. they go, oh crap, I haven't actually thought of that. <laughs> or I haven't no. asked myself that. Or, you know, like it, it's, it's crazy. But like when we, when we go from one system of hierarchy to another, whether that person is in any way, shape or form wanting to control, abuse, you know, manipulate, uh, take advantage, any of these things, they will inherently do it. Um, you yeah. know, so earlier um, this week, I was talking to someone, um, a really, just a, a beautiful person that um, had come from a, a background of like some different abuse and, and all sorts of different stuff. And then they had basically gone through some rehabilitation program and then started working for that group. Um, but mm. What's interesting is they were trapped in this system. They've been trapped in it for years now and they right. couldn't get out. Um, and, and basically they had gone from one system of abuse straight into another. And it wasn't that the person that they were now working for or the organization or system or were inherently trying to abuse people, to control right. people, to manipulate people. But the problem is when you grow up your whole life, trying to please your authority figure, uh, expecting mm -hmm. other people to live your life for you or help you or whatever, all these different elements. And you go straight into another situation, you immediately are going Oh, look, another person that will tell me what to do. Another person yeah. I can try and please. I, have you watched, um, me, uh, my wife uh, encouraged me to check out a documentary on Netflix called Cheer. And uh, dude, you got to watch this documentary. It's, I so will. it's terrible, but it's amazing. It's, it's a <laughs> it's documentary terrible. about, uh, it's not terrible actually, really, but it's, it's this documentary about um, cheerleading and, and the, the best cheerleading. Oh, I've world. seen it. I've seen the pictures, but I'm not, oh. I'm not interested in cheerleading, but... Dude. Me neither. So, but now I am. I'm like, <laughs> yes. Um, but like, it's fascinating watching these people break their bodies doing this. Yeah. I, I had no idea the, the degree of what's it's involved. You know, I, I've seen it go into like a, a basketball game or a, a football game, but that's like not cheerleading. That's not even like near competition level cheerleading. So it turns out wow. like, that's actually like low tier, easy stuff. 
what they do for wow. the competitions. So at high school, end of high school, beginning of college, that's the big stuff. And yeah. Because after that, you've broke your body beyond repair anyway. Yeah, you um, can't but, do anything else. But these, these, so one of the one of the girls had come from this abusive background. She had no parents to speak of. Her mother had abandoned her. Her dad abandoned her first, and then her mother abandoned her after. And she was with her grandparents. It was just really tough. She was living in a trailer, and then her brother that she lived with abandoned her as soon as he got turned eighteen. And she's like, "Oh my gosh, she is crying out for someone to love her." And yeah. then you, she goes into this system where like they're in this family and everyone's coming down and we're all together. And she's suddenly got this family, but the mom figure, the leader of the children, she is a lovely, amazing woman, but she is benefiting hard from the fact that this woman, this girl, this young girl wants to please mom. Right. So bad. Like literally the girl at one point, she's gone to the hospital. Uh, there's no spoilers in this or anything. Don't worry. But she goes to the hospital and they're like, you are taking so many beats when they throw you up in there and they catch you. You're taking so many hits on your ribs that we think they're fracturing and splintering. And honestly, if you keep doing this, there's a real high chance of a splinter and stab you in the lungs and kill you on the spot. You're done. Yeah. You're just done. Your organs stabbed. You're just shish kebab and dead. And she goes back to the practice and she's like, what should I do? <laughs> she asks the woman and she's like, if you think you can do it, I believe in you. I, I believe if you think you can do it, if you think you're strong enough, if you, you think you're that great, you can do it. And I'm like, she doesn't mean badly. And she hasn't heard you're going to die. Like, so that she doesn't, she's not like being irresponsible in that sense of she has the information right. of that. Um, but this kid is going to go, oh, I want to please mom. And, and it just shows, it's a beautiful example of this thing of like, this girl has been told you're very likely to die if you keep doing this. It doesn't matter. But, but it doesn't matter. I'm so ingrained and in, I'm in a system which is structured that mom is at the top. Now, it's not my mom. And because they are so, it's so much fear. You're so afraid. It's what I was telling you. I switched my mom for my pastor mm. and I knew, and I knew I'm going to keep doing this because my husband and I started like we looked at other churches, we looked at other denominations, we looked at everything. We looked at home churches. We traveled to San mm. Francisco to see a movement of home churches that was there that was, you know, seemingly working. And I just kept seeing cycles of Same abuse, cycle. cycles of abuse and hierarchies. And so long as Christianity believes that yeah. they are the superior faith, they yeah. are partnering up with white supremacy. Yeah. It's the good faith for you. That does not mean is a superior faith for all, you know, and, and, and making that differentiation. But so long, as, as soon as somebody believes, oh, everybody should be Christian, that's what they need. You are marrying Christianity with white supremacy. And it's, mm -hmm. it comes from trauma. This wanting to homo, homogenize, well, that's a hard word to say. <laughs> the world is this, uh, is this, you know, it's just this trauma that this, if we all of us think the same, then we'll all protect one another. No, mm. not really. We need diversity. We need everybody to be able to express themselves however they feel they should express themselves. What works in America most certainly doesn't work in Colombia, in the UK, or in China. Yeah. And, and we need to be able to respect people wherever they are at. But, um, but yeah, this idea that it ha it, it's, it's an oppressive system so long as we believe it's the right system, you know? Mm. Uh, but the whole thing with cheer you are describing exactly what I was doing with my pastor. 
I've done it as well, like a hundred percent. I know that. Yeah, like I my parents were slightly that. detached, you know, and I really vied right. for their and the way I got my my parents' love generally was by doing something for them because they didn't show much affection, they didn't physical touch or words of affirmation. So it was like if I would go buy my mom a little gift or something because we were poor and she would be like, Oh, that's so great. Or if I would you, go and do the vacuuming, you know, hoover yeah. up or whatever, and she'd be like, Oh, thank you so much. And so immediately I go into a church environment and I'm going, Pastor, what can I do for You're you? You're perfect or, for Pastor, them. even though you make eight times more than all of us, I've bought you a nice little hamper to say thank you. And you know, it's like, and, and, and that's and that's great. It's nice to do, but not out of what I was doing it. You know, no, like that the, was it's the hidden the hidden motivations, stuff, you know? right? Like what I mm-hmm. what we were talking about, the hidden motivations underneath. And yeah. I have this theory that the love languages, you know, the love languages that are so yes. very famous inside, I, I think they are trauma coping. Mm. Not so much love languages, but trauma cop coping, you know, like ways in which I, I'm coping with my trauma so that I can appease my feelings and not have to deal with abandonment and not have to deal with mm. rejection and not have to deal with insecurities. Um, I could see that. So, so we go into marriage seminars, for instance, and they go like, well, you need to know your wife's love language and then love her that way. What is that communicating? You need to help her cope with how she feels insecure about your behavior so that she stops feeling insecure when in reality, I shouldn't feel insecure. If he wants to leave, he could go. Mm. You know, like that's it. Like my insecurities should not be the reason which we interact with one another. Yeah. Uh, like I know how I, he feels like people would tell me all the time because my husband's love language, like most men, because of toxic masculinity, is uh, touch. And I'm, I don't like hugs. I already established that at the beginning. I, I'm not a hugging, you know, our, our yeah. society, Colombia, Bogota, people from Bogota where I grew up, we don't touch people. Okay. And so marry this guy and he's like, I need touch. I'm like, mm, that feels awkward to me. And this whole time, every time we would go to like counselors or have pastoral counseling, it was like, Joe, you just need to touch. Mm. But that's not natural for me. And why is he wanting like, why does he need me to touch him to feel loved? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now when I touch him, and I do touch him a lot, it's because I want to. Not yeah. because I feel coerced to, because his love language is that. So I have to appease his love language. You know, no, I don't have to. I don't. He should be yeah. secure enough in himself that whether I touch him or don't touch him, he's like, she loves me. I know she loves me. And the same, yeah. you know, my, my love language supposedly is words of affirmation, which is, it's just my insecurity. I needed people to yeah. validate me. <laughs> I needed validation uh, to know that I still belong. I still belong. So, so he was like trying, but that's not natural for him. Words are not his thing. He's not very good mm. at that. He's, he's just not what he did. So it was the same. He was forcing himself to say the right thing to yeah. appease my own insecurities. Well, the, is that does that does any of that communicate healing or healthy or whole, mm. wholesomeness no it's just cycles of trauma and we are encouraging each other's trauma to make sure that i'm not triggering you and you're not triggering me when in reality if i deal with my trauma and you deal with yours we won't trigger each other we will we mm. will be able to be to have healthy attachment to each other you know yeah. i'd love so, to see some studies on that of like um if, if there was some way we could uh I, isolate how people grew up and, and what they how they received love how that how they didn't receive love and what that translates right. today because it's it, it as well it's well documented uh that what people's love languages change based on major life shifts right so you go right. from 
Uh, I don't have any kids and my love language is words of affirmation. I have kids, you know what, I don't care. Just do some dishes and help with this and help <laughs> yeah. with that. Right? I mean, service. Whatever, That's you know, how like, I feel loved. Um, and, and so it, it shifts based on different areas where you're exhausted, tired, you maybe right. feel insecure, different things. I can totally see that words of affirmation one that makes you laugh because I used to be very like that. And I, and I can retrospectively look at it and go, oh God, that's just my insecurities. I was very insecure right. and I needed some affirmation. Um, oh, it's really fascinating, uh, really, yeah. really interesting. I, I think it's interesting too, and this is just my theory, but mm. there is no backup to this. It's just me observing. Yeah, my but this, this, this depth of trauma. So we should probably wrap up because we can go for about two hours and I want to yeah. make sure you get back to your family. Um, I don't know but, uh, there, but... Oh, they're going to come back. <laughs> That's good. I don't <laughs> yes, know if they came back. They might have. <laughs> they are really quiet, so... Okay. Um, but... I'm really intrigued. So one of the big things I'd love to to make sure people can do is connect with you afterwards. But, but before I talk about that, talk to me about some uh, resources that people can look into because it feels like an underpinning for a lot of what we've talked about here is um, is white supremacy, decolonization, um, and then trauma as a, as a whole. Yeah. What are a couple of great resources that people can um, kind of grab a hold of or, or go to, or what would, what was really helpful for you in kind of starting that journey as far as educating yourself i think there is so much out there so, mm. and it can feel so deeply overwhelming yeah to be met with all of this information out there all these podcasts and all these books and all these so perhaps the first thing i would suggest is just take it slow um and don't be overwhelmed i have list of resources for decolonizing deconstruction and trauma and also lgbtq and christianity on the link on my bio you can it's, it's literally Perfect. just a word uh, document with the I, four doc so documents I'll, uh, yeah I'll, I'll put that in your link tree by uh, but bio i know that here. people read that and feel so overwhelmed so yeah. what i encourage people to start with is just following the instagram and twitter accounts that are on those resource lists and watching slowly reading just kind of sitting for months i'm talking like at least three months just sitting and reading that content mm. uh and as you read you can start seeing like oh these books or these podcasts would probably be more beneficial for me yeah uh than these others we and then you're not spending a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of time that um would be better spent you know mm. elsewhere because i yeah. i had a lot of people give me a lot of book resources at the beginning and they weren't all that helpful because they they just didn't apply to the the season and the life and right. yeah i was like okay well that was interesting and it was helpful to some degree but yeah. if i would have just sat down to listen a little longer yeah. um then i would have saved some money well some of my mother-in-law's money on books <laughs> <laughs> she's the one that buys me all the books so you know my recommendation is always start with following the Twitter and the yeah. Instagram accounts and just kind of watch what grabs and reading you and then mm -hmm. kind of follow see, that. Yeah. And be like, oh my gosh, this is definitely something I need to look into yeah. and that would be helpful and beneficial for me. Um, and grabs so, you, what I say that as well, probably isn't a positive feeling sometimes as know. well. It'll yes. be like, oh, like, dang, ooh. this, I feel defensive. I feel exactly, exactly. Angered, all I'm sorts of different that. emotions that will be positive and negative, I, I imagine. Because I know for me, I follow different accounts. Um, because I'm very aware of uh, whatever my backgrounds are, that my issues of racism, any kind yeah. of xenophobia, all sorts of different things that are going on. And I follow different accounts um, uh, because of that. And I know that some of them I get really like, I'm like, that's just unfair. Why? How dare you? Like, you know, or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, Feeling let me think this through as a mm -hmm. white person. Right. Is it unfair? 
sure. Like, right. I, you know, and just it just thinking through like, oh, where are they coming from as a person from a totally different background? And so it, it actually just it requires just following accounts can be hard work as well. It's, it's, you know, you might throw a book across the room, but like just following it an account, it's going to be triggering you nonstop because. And listen, this is ingrained. I unfollowed people. Yeah. And at the beginning, I unfollowed people because I was so angry at them. I was like, how yeah. dare you? He doesn't get it. He doesn't. There is this guy. His name is like he's um, at is Chaka Bars. And some of the things that he'd say, he talks a lot about racism and a lot about blackness in general. And I was like, Ugh, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. So I unfollowed him like four times. And then I refollowed him. And now I love him. Now I love everything he says. <laughs> and I like not everything. He says some things. I'm like, I don't know about that. But, you know, it doesn't trigger me anymore. Yeah. So, and it was the same with like women like Rachel Cargill, Lisa Rene Hall, Leila Saad, all of these women that are talking about racism. Mm. Uh, and I would feel very defensive. And then I would see the way that they respond as a very marginalized community, as a black woman in the world, they don't owe us niceness, mm. you know? So I would see the way in which they would reply to white women challenging mm. them. And I'd be like, well, that was rude. And then I'd be like, oh, they don't owe me niceness. They don't owe any of us niceness. And learning that, that I do expect niceness from people sometimes. Yeah. And so, yes, you will feel so uncomfortable, but discomfort is not something we run from anymore. It's something we sit with. Yeah. Kind of like pain. Really we were good. talking about pain leading us leaning to the healing. Yeah. Uh, discomfort leads us to. Discomfort mm. is something we lean into and not react to anymore. But it's like, okay, why am I so uncomfortable? Like nothing should make me so uncomfortable. Why am I so uncomfortable by this? Clearly, mm. it's putting the finger on something that I should definitely look at. That's so, so good. Awesome. So that's, that's some, so you say you've got Instagram and Twitter accounts that, that, that talk about the race um, stuff, the yes. conversation, the, and, and trauma stuff. Is there some accounts on there for that as well? I do, yeah. Wonderful. Um, okay. I am, I'm, I'm working on a parenting one in case people are interested. So it should be up in about a week to talk about, you know, how to do parenting decolonized and deconstructed parenting right so if you just keep checking i i update them perfect often. I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll so if you're you're watching this or listen to this in the show notes i'll put a link to um joe's my link tree uh, link tree that will then have all the resources and stuff i, I looked through that i was I, I looked through it this morning when i was like i was like oh i just need to like check out some more stuff because i've only really lived on your instagram i've not gone beyond that and yeah I was like, dude this is awesome there's loads of stuff in here <laughs> there uh, is so it's really you know great people resource. would ask me all the time people would ask me i was mm -hmm. like i should just make a document and then yeah dude i need to do that i just tell people i just, I just write it all out every time <laughs> yeah I'm no not, make a document not wise i should do that yeah that's awesome <laughs> uh well thank yeah. you so much for coming out honestly this has been fantastic and i'd love to have you on again at some point as well because i feel like we scraped surfaces that Absolutely. we could have gone so deep in so many different areas. And so, um, yeah, this has been really, really great. Same. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you for it. sacrificing some of your sleep, actually, for having this oh, conversation. It's fine. I enjoy staying um, up late anyways. <laughs> good, good. Well, I, I always tell white people that are willing to have conversations with me that I'm really grateful because it's mm -hmm. not a comfortable conversation for white people. Um, so I'm grateful for white people that are not only willing to listen, but also willing to uplift it, you know, to, mm. um, to, to kind of like put it out there. And so I appreciate your willingness yeah. to do both of those things. That's a way yeah. of using your privilege. It's, it's really, uh, that's a, it's, I'm not even gonna let you go. Uh, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is something I struggle with because I, I, I really, I'm touring because I've read kind of two kind of dynamics of that as well that I'd love to just get your input on. Like there's an element of um, giving a voice to people that are marginalized that are minorities that have uh 
being victims of uh, privilege and different things like that. But there's another element as well of like, I'm giving a voice. So in a sense, I'm still in this privileged, better, whatever place. Does that make sense? And Yeah, it does. And do, the, do you have thoughts on how to find a balance in that as well? Or, or even how do you communicate? Because I've had people say that to me as well. I've had a lot of pushback on me uh, saying, hey, today I want to like uh, just share a whole bunch of different things from the LGBTQ plus community. Why don't you share, put in this box something that you'd yeah. like to share and I'm going to post them all my story and share 20, yeah. 30 stories today. I had people contact me couple people most people loved it a couple people yeah. were going, look at you you're like sis and you think you have this platform and look at you what a savior giving us a platform to speak and i was like i didn't mean anything but i probably have yeah. done something on some level wrong i need to evaluate that and think about that but at the same time i'm like i want to use this platform to have these conversations and i want to yeah i i don't know and, and there's an element as well where there's an element where white people only listen to white people right there's an element where straight people only listen to a straight person so if I can go, well, screw you guys, I'm getting someone from Columbia on my show, or screw you guys, I'm getting a gay guy on my show. Now you got to listen to them. Right. <laughs> um, th there's, there seems to be some element where that's got to be beneficial. I think um, there's two things. Like there is, you are not giving a voice to the marginalized. You are just highlighting it. Hmm. We have a voice. Yes. We've always had a voice, you know. Um, you're just highlighting it and using your privilege to ensure that it is heard. Because like you said, because of implicit biases, the probability of people wanting to hear you are much higher than the probability of people wanting to hear me. Not because of what I have, anything that I have to say is not valid or valuable, just because they look at your skin and they look at your gender and they look at my skin and they look at my gender. They look at where you were born and where I was born and their brain tells them he's an expert. She's not. Mm. It's just what their brain does. So you take your privilege and say, well, actually... I want you to hear her because I learned something from her, mm -hmm. which means we all can. So what you're doing is um, confronting them with their implicit biases yeah. and saying your implicit biases don't apply. Look at how they don't apply. So you're highlighting our voices. You're essentially giving us the mic, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, no, uh, I, I like, I, this is a, something I learned from black women because it's this idea that we need to give a voice to the voiceless. Nobody is voiceless. Yeah. It's just that some have been hoarding the mic. So That's what true. you're doing and what I do too is um, I, I just pass the mic, you know, I've had the mic as a cisgender heterosexual woman. I've had the mic. Mm -hmm. So I pass it. I pass it down yeah. as a documented immigrant. I pass the mic. I had a great interview and conversation with an undocumented, with the daughter of an undocumented um, man here in San Diego and her story and her experience with immigration uh, because as soon as she says, my dad is an undocumented immigrant, mm. her credibility is gone with most people. Yeah. Her credibility is absolutely gone. But I am a documented immigrant. I've done everything. Not for a second was I undocumented in this country illegally. Mm. Uh, so I have credibility. When people say, well, we want people like you that can do it legally. I say, well, you're going to have to listen to those people too. Mm -hmm. So we are only highlighting voices that need to be heard from which we are learning. Because I was one of those people that said, if you want to come, just do it legally. Idiot. Like, without acknowledging yeah. my privilege, without acknowledging the fact that I could pay the lawyers, without acknowledging the fact that, you know, I didn't run away from Colombia because I was in danger. I ran away because I was, I didn't want to live next to my mom. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's very different, you know? Very. So, we, I, I'm not giving a voice to the undocumented woman. I am, I am just simply using my platform and using my privilege 
to demand people listen to her too. Yeah. Uh, and I think that understanding that difference is important, you know, mm. because I, and like I said, you won't be triggered by some of the things that are said, that are said about people of color or about mm -hmm. gay people or about undocumented immigrants. They will be. So in a way, you're also putting yourself, if you're going to get any backlash from me speaking mm. about white supremacy, you can handle it. It's different for you. You won't be re-traumatized by it. I will. Yeah. So in a way, it's you putting yourself between them and a marginalized person too. Yeah. That's how I view it anyways. No, that's great. Awesome. On that note, how do they get in touch with you? <laughs> so um, your Instagram well, and Twitter and stuff, is that yeah. the best place to follow you? Definitely. Twitter and Instagram are the places where I am the most active. We have a kind of a hold on our YouTube channel because we've changed a lot and we had a baby unexpectedly. Um, mm. So since her, it was Congrats. like, dude, I can't keep doing videos and we've changed. Yeah, thank you. She was our fourth and we didn't want four babies, but here we are and it's fun. Um, yeah. So so that's a little bit of a hold, but there is still a lot of videos there and a lot of content. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Instagram and Twitter are definitely the best ways. So Instagram, Twitter, same handle? Same handle, Joe Lumen, so, one Joe word. Lumen. Yeah, J-O-L-U-E-H-A-M-N, sorry. No, yeah, it's L-U-E-H-M-A-N-N. Yes, You'll write it down, it's I'll put it down in the show notes as well. So it's in the show notes, so Twitter, Instagram, and then YouTube as well, and that's in the show, in your in your. Yeah, all of that is on the link on my bio, yeah. Awesome, brilliant. So I encourage people to check you out as well, because honestly, I've really Thank enjoyed you. your Instagram, and I, I'm going to keep checking out your other resources as well, especially Same. all those links on deconstruction, decolonization, and all that. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful night and a great weekend. Yes, weekend. you too. All right, that was Joe Lumen. What an extraordinary mind uh, and a beautiful heart, just an incredible uh, desire to change people's lives, to see the world become a better place. Absolutely loved that chat i really enjoyed um, getting to know her i hope you did as well um and i'd encourage you to check her out um go follow her on instagram and twitter um, go check out her resources i've got all the links in the show notes um attached to this podcast or um or the video if you're watching just in the show notes again um you'll find all those links um and as per usual go check out the grace course if you want lots of great teaching more videos of these interviews um you can watch them on youtube a week after they come out on the podcast if you prefer watching you can do that um and do connect with um the deconstruction network if you're interested in doing um being a part of something um bigger there, this movement is huge it's all over the world there's people everywhere one of the things I hear most often is people feeling lonely in this process and there doesn't need to be a lonely deconstructing Christian there are people all over the planet in this um, movement there are all, all sorts of people everywhere going through this um, and so the deconstructionnetwork.com uh, is a great place to go if you want to try and find people that are going through something similar in your area um, you can search for them on the map you can send them a message and see if they want to connect in some way shape or form um, it's a great place to do that and we're also doing research into deconstruction and what deconstruction looks like hopefully getting some helpful useful data um, out into the world that can inform people that can help people see that, that this is a, a movement that it's, a, it's an identity for people um, and, and give some validation rather than the negative um, kind of labels that are given to this movement a lot of the time anyway that's enough for me I'll see you again um, next week for the next podcast Cheers.